Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton. A show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the wonderful world of education. This time around, I spoke to Julia Smith. Julia is a former maths teacher who now works as a teacher trainer. She's also an author, and as we'll see, she is a GCSE Maths Resit Specialist. In fact, I'm going to come out and say this, I reckon she is one of, if not the, best in the country at this. Julia is also, and we'll be talking loads more about this throughout the show, the 5Rs Project Lead. Now, let me say this right from the start. I have taught Maths GCSE Resit woefully for many, many years. At our school in Bolton, we have a sixth form, and as is government policy, any students who did not get a grade C at GCSE, or now a grade four, who wanted to stay on in sixth form, will be essentially forced to resit their GCSE. As such, teachers found themselves teaching students who really didn't want to be there, trying to teach them content that they had essentially failed in at the past. It was not a very pleasant experience for anyone involved. As we'll find out in this conversation, the mistake I was making was trying to teach the content in the same way I would teach it to, say, a Year 9 or a Year 11 student. The lessons just didn't feel different, so why on earth should my students have assumed that the outcome would be any different? Fortunately, having spoken to Julia, I will not be making that mistake again. In this fascinating conversation, we discuss... Just how many students resit their maths GCSE and how many pass? And I'll tell you what, the numbers startled me. What are some of the challenges of teaching GCSE resit students? What mistakes has Julia made and seen when teaching resit students in the past? And then the big one, what exactly is this five R's approach? And crucially, what does it look like in the classroom? And as a little spoiler alert, it is flipping brilliant. How, if at all, does Julia use past assessment data to inform her teaching? And what are some of the key messages she gives to her GCSE Reset students at the start of the year? Now, perhaps the biggest takeaway for me from this conversation was just how much of this I could apply to teaching any age of students, not just Reset GCSE students. It is quite simply very good teaching. Now, I also don't think we've ever had an episode with so many shout-outs to amazing free resources. But fear not, Julia's kindly put together a special Padlet for this episode, which you can find at padlet.com forward slash tess, that's T-E-S-S, maths one, tess maths one, forward slash Craig Barton. Now, don't worry if you're thinking, what the flipping X is saying there? I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes. So every time Julia mentions a free resource, whether it be a video, a basic skills test, some link to some practice work she asks her kids to do, don't think you have to suddenly pull over and make a note of it. If you just follow the link to this Padlet in the show notes, you're going to find it there. And my God, there are some absolute classics for students of all ages. Now, just before we crack on, just one big plug. Um, 
Joe Morgan and I are running our own conference, which goes by the name of Marvelous Maths. We'll do one event in London at Joe's new school on the 29th of October, and uh, another leg of this in Trinity Academy, Halifax, on the 31st of October. Tickets are £90 plus VAT, and at the time of recording, over 85% of the tickets are gone. Now, there's 100 tickets available for each, so if my maths is right, I reckon there's about 15 tickets for each event left. So if you're interested in getting along to this, I promise it's going to be good. Well, Joe's bit anyway. Um, get along to mathscpd.weebly.com where you'll find all the details. And again, there'll be a link to that in the show notes. That's Marvellous Maths, 29th of October, 31st of October, £90 plus VAT. Tickets going fast. Anyway, without further ado, let me introduce Julia Smith. Oh, and I'll tell you what, I reckon this might be the first in over 100 episodes of this podcast where the guest says more flippings than the host. Just listen out for those ones. Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this one. I know you will. And as ever, I will see you on the other side. Okay, Julia. So we start, as we always do on the podcast, with your maths speed dating questions. So question number one, what is your favourite number and why? Okay, that was quite a tricky one. Um, I would have to consider any prime number um, because prime numbers are just amazing. Uh, you don't need any other numbers if you, if you understand prime numbers. Um, so I think on that basis, it would have to be the first one, which is two. Nice, and definitely not one. I like that, Julia. Definitely not one or three. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, question number two. What was your favourite topic in maths as a student? Um, I think anything in geometry, uh, especially Pythagoras, um, all those kind of desire pathways where you see um, people taking shortcuts because they don't want to go uh, down the road and then across. Um, all these little pathways that people make through um, this actual thing called desire pathways. So, Anything to do with Pythagoras is just staggering that they didn't have the technology, they didn't have the calculators, etc. that we had. Um, and the whole historical aspect of Pythagoras, Mr. Pythagoras, um, is just astounding, really. All those Greek mathematicians and what they've done for us. So it would have to be geometry. And what are you calling that, Julie? A desire pathway? Desire what's, pathway. What's one of those? So, um, I've got a, a picture on my mathematical hooks padlet, um, which I can explain about, and I, I'll let you have access to as well. It's a, it's a free um, a resource. So it, it, town planners, they want you to go down a pathway and then turn left to go on another pathway, but actually everyone cuts a corner and goes over the grass. Um, and there's some fantastic pictures out there of uh, finding the longest side of a right-angled triangle. Uh, it's called a desired pathway. It's an actual thing. So if you type that into Google, um, you'll see all these little tracks that people make because it is the shortest route. Well, that's Pythagoras. That's real-life Pythagoras. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a very good starting point, very good hook. I love it. And I'm very aware of your hooks padlet. It's one of my favorite things. So we'll definitely, oh, we will definitely make sure we, uh, we, yeah, we talk a little bit I've more about that. I've always liked you, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, question number three then. What job would you like to do if you weren't involved in education, Julia? Uh, well, I'd definitely, definitely be a farmer, but I am kind <laughs> of that anyway. So I've got the best of both worlds, really. Yes, we farm at home. 
Um, so if I'm not stuck in front of the computer or uh, doing some training somewhere in the country, then I'm out in the fields with the sheep and uh, looking at fungicides and all sorts of bits and pieces. So, yeah. <laughs> Jeez, you know what? Like, I, I don't think I'd have any interest in being a farmer. I'm not a huge... This is going to put off listeners left, right and centre. I, I, I won't be a massive <laughs> fan of, of, of animals just generally. But I could imagine, like, we're recording this in, in October. It can't be a good job this time of year, Julie, when it's all oh, grim no, it's outside. You, you, it's just appropriate footwear and clothing, isn't it? That's all. It's just, you know, you look at the weather and decide whether you need 14 layers on and boots <laughs> or uh, whether you can go out in your shorts and your, your little top. <laughs> Jeez, well, we may have to disagree on that one. But anyway, OK. okay. <laughs> we have to get you down here, Craig. Show you po- the wonders of Essex. Possibly, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, let's talk about your career, Julie. Where, where, where did yeah. it all start for you and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I started off in adult community learning when my children were little. Um, obviously, I'd, I'd worked before then in the city, but um, so I'd, I did a few evening classes. I did mainly IT with a bit of maths at that point. Then, um, as they got a bit older, I stepped into Colchester Institute and took up um, a teaching post in Colchester Institute, um, gained my uh, teaching qualifications on the job, which was fantastic. So, actually, further education has made me as a teacher. Um Spent about 10 years there, got to quite a high grade, uh, managing all the maths and um, English as well with a colleague uh, in the college, and we were um, really, really good. Um, We got to a grade one uh, with sitting guilds with our key skills, as it was then. Um, And it was just about really more of a challenge, I suppose. So um, something called the QTLS status came up, uh, which meant I could transfer from further education into the school sector and I fancied a bit of a challenge. Um, I went and headed up a pupil referral unit in Ipswich um, in the maths department so that was amazing, an amazing experience for 14 to 19 year olds and then from then I moved to the local school in Clacton-on-Sea, a very challenging school uh, where again I did 14 to 16 um, maths as head of head of the maths there. So I've, I kind of am a bit unique, I suppose, because I straddle both uh, secondary and um, further education. So it's a little bit of a different pathway. Um, and then really since that time, I'm, I've been doing a lot of work over the years with ASA, who have now been subsumed by the Association of Colleges. Um, and then kind of freelance stuff, opportunities were coming forward left, right and centre. So it was about looking at it and thinking, well, where can I have a, a bigger impact than... Um, the class of students that are in front of me all the time. So it's about a bigger impact for me and, and just things that I, you know, I'm lucky I, I can pick and choose what I go off and do. And um, yeah, that's quite a nice position to be in. So yeah, Further Education made me, Colchester Institute, um, fantastic place. Um, I've been Chair of Governors at Ripley University College, which is a little bit further away from Colchester. But um, again, that's given me a very holistic view, if you like, of secondary further education and then going into university as well because um, it was a university college um, so yes a bit of a different career pathway perhaps wow flipping out the, the, there's, there's plenty going on there julie just just, yeah. just give us a sense then now um, what, what would a typical week look like or maybe what 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 does this week have having uh, have in store for you what, what, what are you doing day to day now then so i've got some uh, obviously i'm very wrapped up in the five r's um, research project, which we will uh, go on to discuss later. Um, so that's quite a bit of my work. I'm sending out Corbett Maths revision cards all over the country. Um, I am authoring uh, a piece of work at the present time for some functional maths work. I am doing some mentoring 
as well for people who've done their level five um, GCSE resit qualification with the um, ETF, the Education Training Foundation. Um, and then Friday, I'm off to Birmingham to deliver uh, a GCSE resit kind of uh, motivator, mass motivator for AQA. And then obviously, the end of the week um, finishes with a highlight. Uh, when we're at Peterborough for the maths conference on Saturday, so that's going to be brilliant because, you know, you catch up with so many friends and you learn an awful lot as well, and, and then there's all the freebies and cake. <laughs> Fantastic. Superb. Well, we are definitely going to dive into many of the things that you've discussed there, but I, I want to start with a question that I, that I always ask my guests, particularly guests who've, who've been teachers, and that's uh, to choose a favourite failure. So I wonder if you could think back to a lesson that you taught or, or anything else, however you want to interpret it, but crucially, something that didn't go according to plan and, and what did you yeah, learn from, what absolutely. did you learn from the experience we've all been there we've all cried in the toilet so <laughs> I deny anyone to say they haven't um yeah so welders and engineers at Colchester Institute they, when I was very very green and learning um I planned for the maths I planned for the maths in the session um the maths was extremely sound it was quite tricky maths uh because they were engineering and and obviously they're um the engineering maths was um, higher level than the GCSE, although some of them still needed to reset the GCSE and get a grade C at that time. Um, planning for the maths rather than the engagement, that was my biggest mistake. Um, so not thinking, you know, thinking it was very didactic. It was me talking and then uh, learning a few exercises and me talking. It was it was very, very um, staid. Um, so I didn't plan for engagement. I didn't think about the learning opportunities that they needed. I planned for the, the maths, getting as much maths into them, out of my head, into their head, but not really giving them the thinking space that they needed. I'll tell you what, Julie, it could, it could all be kicking off here, you know, early on in this in this conversation, because I reckon one of the biggest mistakes I made was doing the exact opposite, was right. was planning for engagement and, and not planning enough for maths. I wonder, is this because of the kind of different... Uh, well, mind you, this isn't. We're not talking research students here, are we? At this this initial stage, because I'm just no. th I'm just thinking that probably if I think back to my research teaching, and we'll definitely dive into this throughout the conversation. Yeah. I think there definitely the engagement and how I come at things I don't think has been good enough then in the past. But just just talk to me a little bit more about that. What 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 would you have done okay. differently now with the benefit of hindsight? Well, I think early on as well, I was I was very lucky in my timing in that I uh, sort of started teaching when uh, we had the standards unit materials mm. come out. So as soon as I saw the, the, the blue and gold box, which I'm actually looking at now on my shelf in my office, um, that kind of then morphed me into the person I am now, the teacher that I am. And those eight effective principles from Malcolm Swan are very much at the heart. So... Um, you know, having seen some of those materials and thinking, I just think about the standard form um, section that they've got there, the, the little, I call them little ready meals because they are, <laughs> they were fully, uh, you know, they gave you everything. As a new teacher, it was just fantastic. Um, but thinking about, you know, the visuals that they needed to see and the progression from the visual to the, to the number and then morphing it into standard form uh, was a very engaging activity, whereas... I'd probably done the same in my planning, uh, but not perhaps with the visuals. I'd talked about a fly or I talked about a skyscraper rather than actually using the visuals and, and having something to move around. It was all very much worksheet. Um, so the standards unit really, really um, influenced me um, and the, the work of Malcolm Swan. And then um, I did a piece of work um, 
and someone actually gave me the collaborative learning in mathematics book from Malcolm Swan, which is a bit heavy, um, but it's still still the Bible as far as I'm concerned. Nothing comes close to that one and the research that Malcolm did in there and the team. Um, So yes, um, I think I would have to say the standards unit then um, turned my my thinking and my um, approach around and actually it served me very, very well over the years if you deliver a standards unit type uh, lesson when you want a job. Um, it, it's designed to go very well. You know that it's, it's a sound sound approach. Um, so I was just fortunate, again, I think in timing that, that um, bless his heart, Professor Malcolm Swan, you know, produced that at the time that I was looking for something. That, that, that's fascinating that because um, and th- we're going to kind of jump a little bit ahead and then, and then come back here because I definitely want to discuss this with you whilst it's fresh in my head. Um, I think a mistake that I've made um, is the wrong kind of engagement. So when I talk about what I used to do when I was I, I kind of plan for engagement and not plan for the maths, I'd have these gimmicky ways of trying to introduce things to try and make it relevant to the kids and stuff. And I, I cringe when I think back to some of them. Yeah. But, but I think you're talking about something different here, right? You're talking about engaging with the mathematics not in a gimmicky yes. way but in not a in a way... gimmicky way however we've just talked about desire pathways I, you know and it's, it's finding something and that's the basis of the hooks really it's finding something that's just flipping interesting <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, that shows you pythagoras without any need for for anything else you know it starts off a discussion it starts off someone being curious um, and, and to be fair, that, that's happened since, um, since the standards unit materials. I'm always looking for, uh, for ways in which to engage students that aren't patronising, that aren't manufactured. Um, I've gone into too many sessions where, uh, for observation purposes, where, where hairdressers, for example, in a college are measuring the door, the front door, and the step as you come in because they're, they're, they're trying to think about a disabled uh, ramp to be put in well they're never going to be doing that job that's going to be the job of the carpenter it's not the job of the hairdresser so that's that doesn't it's meaningless to them it's it's manufactured it's very mm. false um however as you say with it with a hook uh with something that is well thought through and to pr- promote discussion or to just get people interested or curious um then i think that's part of the key if you start the session off with something like that uh, or can can sort of meld it into what you're trying to do throughout the session. Um, it just keeps things a bit bit different, perhaps um, a bit more engaging. Yeah, that's interesting. That and and I guess and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, Julia. But we're we're going to really dig into this. I guess with some of the students we're going to be talking about here, some of these research students who've, who've failed with maths many many times, um, that initial hook is perhaps even more important than it would be, yeah. say, with a, a year nine top set or a group of yeah. kids who are, are successful. Would that be right? Definitely. And also, it it should be. I mean, there's a key phrase with research students that it shouldn't look, feel, sound like it did before, because mm. you're just going to get the same result. Um, so you need to have a different starting point. It can't look and feel and sound like school. I, I know a lot of people will stay in school to do their research, but that's generally not why they're there. They do other things. Um, and it, it is about just trying something a bit different. Um, again that, that the mantra of it shouldn't look and feel and sound like school because you're just going to get the same result so it needs a very different approach yeah absolutely well i'll tell you what we, we've kind of skirted around the issue so let, let's start diving into to, to this reset issue and and the possible solutions for it i, I want to start with some data julie can you paint us a bit of a picture here did you have a sense of the the number of students resitting gcse maths 
Yes, so um, as part of the Five R's research project, um, I've had to get some statistics together. Um, so really, it's, it's, um, it's, there's the grade boundary issues, but um, it, this isn't about grade boundaries. This is about volume of students. On a macro level, we have gone from 2018, there was about 134,000 students across the country who had to, because it's mandatory, have to have the opportunity to have a resit. So it's 134,000 in 2018, in June. Last June, 2019, we had 143,000. So that's gone up nearly 7% in one year. So wow. we, we're seeing large volumes of students. Imagine 143,000. Would that fill Wembley Stadium? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the capacity of Wembley Stadium is. Yeah, but definitely. You're, you're talking about a very big arena, aren't you? Full of students who've got a grade three, um, and they have to, mandatory, uh, as a recommendation from Professor Alison Wolfe, um, have to go and sit. Um, their GCSE again. Um, so, but the pass rates went down from 18.2% down to 17.4% uh, in that same year. So although the volume of students going up from 16 to 18 year olds, uh, the actual um, achievement rates from going from a grade three to grade four has, has gone down. However, when you equate that down to actual numbers of students passing, 24,000 um, passed with a grade four in 2018. 25,000 have passed in, uh, with a grade 4 in 2019. So again, 25,000 students gaining their grade 4 um, is, is no mean feat at all. But that's on a macro level. You equate that to however many colleges and schools and sixth forms there are in the country. Um, we're seeing um, cases where some colleges will have zero achievement, 4% wow. achievement, 10% achievement. Um, uh, it's very, very low, and it's very demoralising sometimes for those staff. Mm. However, um, where, when I was chair of governors at Ritley University College, you look at um, the courses you run and you look at their outcomes. Now, if that had been any other course, we wouldn't be running that course because of the outcomes. It would be clear that, well, we're not doing very well here. Let's let someone else do it. However, we haven't got that luxury. We have to deliver those courses. Um, some colleges are doing very, very well. Some schools are doing very, very well. But, but when I say very, very well, you're talking about 60% achievement, 70% achievement. It's not massive. Um, however, for me, the, G the GCSE grade four is a door opener. It really is. It means so much um, in the world of, of moving on to other things. People change job later in their careers. I've, I've talked far too many um, ladies of a certain age who then want to go into primary school teaching um, or go into nursing can't do any of that without a GCSE um, at a certain grade so it's a real door opener um, which is why really I, I went from further education into the PRU into the secondary school because those kids don't realise it but if they can get that qualification under their belt um, it really will set them up very well later on in life um, so on a macro level, 25,000 students passing with a grade uh, four is, is no mean feat. But when you then bring it down to the fact that that might just be two of your class of, of 20 students passing, that's, that's very difficult. Um, and then you have to keep going. So you have a student on a level one course. They'll have one attempt at it. Uh, they might go on to level two um, because they have to stay in education until they're 18. Uh, so they'll have another crack at it. Uh, they might have November resets as well, so that's another two opportunities that they might be put in for it. They go on to level three. That might be a level that, that might be a 
two-year course, so they'll have another four goes at it. Wow. Um, we have some students now who have sat it seven times. That's quite common. Um, Jeez. Resat it seven times. <laughs> and we had Lauren Reed, bless her, um, who passed after nine attempts. Wow. This year in June. So, but she had that tenacity, she had that perseverance and um, resilience to do it because she needed it to go on to occupational therapy. So she didn't give up, and um, you know that's just, that's the kind of thing that we're dealing with. And you're also looking at within those numbers, you're looking at somewhere like a large further education college, like City College Norwich, for example, or Peterborough Regional College. They'll have fourteen hundred students resitting their maths. 1,400 students in one sitting on one day at a certain time. So the logistical difficulties, you know, I take my hats off to the senior leaders that have to manage these logistics. Um, City College Norwich, I know Jerry White won't mind me mentioning them at all, but they have to bus their students off campus to a great big exhibition hall. Um, They, all of their staff are trained as invigilators. They give all the students breakfast. It's gridlock in Norwich trying to get all these buses (laughs) out and parents dropping kids off their front and centre. They have security because the students don't sometimes want to go into this massive, massive hall. Um, And meanwhile, so you might have a 1,000 students in this exhibition centre. Meanwhile, back at the college, you've got 300, 400 students with readers, scribes, extra time. Um, it's, It's phenomenal, the actual logistical... Uh, situation that's going on out there but again colleges just get on with it Um, so I do take my hats off to them Um, and it's just the the very the very disparate kind of um, you know you might be talking about one class of reset students in a a secondary school that's got a sixth form and then you've got the scale at the the other end of the scale you've got somewhere like Peterborough Regional College who will have thousands uh, hundreds rather of students so yeah it's a big story it's a big thing to consider out there and can I just ask you just a couple of kind of practicalities about this? So the first thing, am I right in saying there's no... So if, if a student doesn't get a grade four and they yeah. stay in further education, um, yeah. they have to reset. Is yeah. that, that right? Um, yeah. And there's no upper limit to the amount of times they can reset. Basically, no. if they're in further education, they've just got to keep going. Is that right? They do. Yeah. Um, if they're on and, a course in a college, they keep going until they're 19. And is that the case that they have to reset it at every opportunity? So they always have to do November, June, November, June? No, they don't have to go for the November reset. The November um, reset is for resetters only. So no year 11 student will be doing that. But actually, the November reset is the very best chance uh, for a resetting student to pass. Um, and it's part of uh, part of the five R's kind of project. It's the best opportunity. Um, I have got a, a small document on this coming out with AQA very shortly. I've written a, an advice and guidance booklet for November research students. It's the ideal opportunity because, A, they're closest to the June exam. So the closer they are, the more likely they are to pass it. So when, uh, you say close, when you say closer to the June, the one they've just taken the previous yes. June, is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. I must... I must stop saying passed it with a grade four because they've passed with a grade three they've passed with a grade two they just haven't made the minimum standard um that is expected or is needed required of them um so november is is the very best opportunity but a college has to get itself into gear very very quickly to find out who these students are who maybe were very close in june who maybe missed an exam because of illness or something else has happened um 
and it needs a very different approach that November series. But it's a it's a it's a fantastic opportunity to, to get some students through, and then that sends a very good message out to the others that are still there. Um, so there's lots of considerations for November. Several colleges will ask all of their students if they want to sit it. They'll give them that um, opportunity. Um, several colleges I know will ask them if they if they want to sit it. They pay for their own entry, but if they pass, they get the money back. Oh, That's like quite that. a good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> um, others will put students in and then expect them to come in for. Uh, they they kind of front load all of their GCSEs. There's lots of extra classes, lots of one to one support. Um, they have like a mass super highway in a couple of colleges I know. Um, so November is, a, is an excellent opportunity, but you do have to be ready for it. Um, I think we're about 27 days away from it at the moment. Um, so you do have to hit the ground running, bearing in mind you probably won't see the students in the college till mid-September. Yes. Um, and if you've got a lot of students, 1,400 students, trying to identify the ones that would be suitable to go for it, um, you know, need some need some coordination. And it's, a, it's a cracking opportunity. Can I ask Julia as well? Um, and again, I, having having done a, a series and a half now of uh, podcasts for for AQA as part of the inside exams, I really should know the answer to this myself. But I, I thought I'd, I'd ask you. Um, how do how do the grade boundaries and, and marking work for the November? Uh, paper? Okay, so they're yeah they're taken from June, so there are there's no normal referencing on that November series. Um, it's looked at on the basis of what happened in June. So. Theoretically, every one of those um, November research students could pass with a grade four. Right, I see. Uh, but, but, and again, forgive me if this is the stupidest question in the world. No, um, no. In, in, ter- in terms of um, if a student did kind of equally as well on a paper in November as they did on a paper in June, they would still get the same grade on those. Is, is that right? It's not as if it's kind of easier to get it in November for any other reason apart from the fact that it's perhaps closer to the previous exam that they've sat, yes. if, if that no, makes it, any it, sense. Grade boundaries shouldn't make any difference. It will be, be the fact that they're closer to to that exam and we'll I'm sure we'll go on to talk about strategies um, mm. for GCSE that the ideal thing is to put a student in for the November series and then there's this hiatus after they sit the exam between yes. that and the exam the, the exam results coming in January an ideal scenario and it's all about inspiring students to to take ownership of their reset is well okay let's put you in uh, for the November reset series um, and if you get your grade four why don't you move on and we'll put you in for hire from January once we know what the result is. So if a student has managed to pull a grade four off in six weeks, uh, having achieved a grade three, there's no reason why if they didn't carry on with that same trajectory, they could get a grade five or a grade six. So um, a lot of our colleges face the student that says, well, I did hire at school. Yes. where they got a grade three out of the higher so uh, there aren't any grade three questions so it shows how well that one went um <laughs> you get parental um sort of involvement as well saying you know i want my my daughter to do higher well statistically we know that unless they're likely to get a grade six they should be doing um foundation so there's that other kind of bit of lever i suppose with with students so well, okay grade four's all right but why don't you do it again in june and um try and get a grade five or we could go for higher and, and you could get a grade six or a grade seven yes. um so there are ways and means into it to outwit them really and um <laughs> just get them get them involved in their own 
pathway because you know it's entirely up to them really it's, it's an um, interesting one that um november, mm. november to january essentially kind of dead time whilst well potentially could be dead time whilst they're yeah. waiting for the resort and I, I i imagine again from my own experience that can must be quite hard to to try and keep the kids going there whilst they're well sat, it's probably sat, not sat. because they probably won't attend after that so right. <laughs> attendance <laughs> right, is a massive right. issue um, yes. You know, getting bums on seats is a massive issue, especially when there's so many students. It's the first thing Ofsted looks at your attendance data. Um, so, you know, there are, it's a big, big um, situation for senior leaders to manage uh, logistically, uh, trying to get the right students into the right class. And then we've got recruitment issues as well. We're trying to get some really good GCSE math teachers in, in colleges. Yes. So, you know, it's yes. hard enough in a school, let alone a college, but it's an excellent pathway. For anyone considering, um, you know, some some GCSE math teaching, it's, it, it for me those more challenging students, as you can tell from my career pathway, I like the challenge of the the difficult kid that doesn't really realise how good that qualification is for them. It really mm. does open some doors, and they do thank you later. <laughs> um, final kind of data related question do you have a sense Julia of, of where these research students are based what kind of proportion would be in colleges versus six forms versus I guess kind of adult um, kind of researchers would be part of this yeah, as well? do you have vast, a sense how yeah, it breaks the vast down? majority are in the college vast majority would be in the 90% will go right. to a further education college um, and I think if you think of your bottom set year 11 you know that they're They've got their sights on maybe bricklaying or welding or hairdressing or health and social care uh, in, a, in the local college. And I've, I've heard it too many times as well from students that disengage in year 11 saying, oh, it's all right, I'll do it again when I get to college. They, yes. don't, they know very well that it's coming, but they just see it as a, as a way of getting out of school, if you like. Yes. Got it. Got it. OK. Well, again, we you, you've covered a lot of this, but I wonder just to kind of summarise, Julia, what what would be if, if you had to say what are some of the big challenges of, of teaching research students? What, what what are they in your experience? Um, obviously, getting them into the classroom. Yes. Um, attendance. Uh, it's not something they, they came to college to do, perhaps. Um, Professor Susan Wallace has, has coined this most excellent phrase about our further education students in our GCSE reset classes. Um, they're rhinos. They're really here in name only in your class. <laughs> and I just, I just think that they're a bit thick skinned, they're a bit aggressive. Um, so Professor Susan Wallace has written a, a brilliant book, um, about engagement in further education. And I love that phrase. So getting them in in the first place, um, Getting them to realise that it doesn't look, feel, sound like school. What you're doing uh, is different. Uh, you want a different result. Um, it's recruitment. Recruitment is a difficulty. Uh, getting good staff. Um, some of the best staff I've ever seen in, in further education colleges have been homegrown. So they've come through the route of learning support and then sort of picking up two or three different classes and going through the teacher training on the job. Um, then you've got things like... Um, you might see them for three hours a week. Those are the guided learning hours. Um, and they're not doing anything in the meantime. So trying to get them to engage and do... I've got this, this kind of um, area which we focus on uh, called the daily maths. So they have to be doing some maths every day, 20 minutes to 30 minutes, that's all. Half an hour every day will really help them alongside what you do in the class with them. Um, so the challenges are really getting them... National Numeracy have, have hit the nail on the head. They've got a, a really good little video about, it's called We've Got a Problem with Maths. 
only about three minutes long, but I play that to ev- absolutely everybody, staff, students, whoever will listen to it. And it's about understanding to get students to value that qualification, to believe that they can actually get it a second time around, a third time around, a fourth time around, and then recognising that actually they've got to put some effort in. And there's all the analogies there of playing a musical instrument or getting good at football or gymnastics. Um, You know, you value it, you want to do it. You believe you can do it, but actually you've got a part to play in it. So it's getting them to own that qualification for themselves. The moment that happens, and we're seeing that, already we're seeing that in the Five Hours Research Project, um, we're seeing students are working outside of the classroom um, very, very well in some cases. Um, once they can do that, then there's a high chance that actually their outcomes will be better. Um, so the challenges really are, are the same as in a, in a secondary school in terms of recruitment. Uh, attendance isn't the same because it's mandatory. Um, in uh, secondary and it is actually mandatory <laughs> in further education but actually they do walk with their feet if they don't see a different product if it's just the same as they've seen before you know if you say right today we're going to do fractions oh you can i can hear it now yes. um, so we have to present it very differently but also valuing that qualification they do value the qualification if you see a, a student who gets their reset result on august the 22nd you know, they are cock-a-hoop. They are absolutely cock-a-hoop, but they've finally done it uh, after one or two or nine attempts. Think of Lauren Reed, you know. It's the fact that they do value it. It's just that maths kind of, the qualification they don't like. They don't like the fact they're forced to do it again, the mandatory Mm. element of it. Um, They do value the qualification because when they get it, I've never seen one student yet rip their statement results up or their certificate up. You know, they do value it and, you know, they're so happy about it. Um, But it is actually recognising they've got a part to play, handing that ownership on to them. Um, The Fashion Retail Academy in Tottenham Court Road, when they first meet their students, they give them two postcards. And on the first postcard, they, they say, why are you here in this recent maths class? Um, and all the excuses come out. So every student does this. Um, They'll say, oh, my teacher didn't like me. I didn't have any teachers. We had supply teachers. I was ill. Um, You know, you hear it all. Absolutely everything comes out. They all get pinned up on the walls. So you've got this whole wall of postcards about what happened in year 11. That's recognised and parked, and then actually you can see that maybe 10 others had supply teachers all the way through, and maybe four others were ill, and maybe, you know, it's all anonymous, so nobody knows who. The second postcard then is about, uh, they're asked, what will it mean to you if you get the reset in your maths? And they know all the answers. All those students know they'll they'll, they'll, uh, earn more money. Uh, We know that um, over their lifetime at work, they're likely to earn, a bit contentious this because I've heard from, in Emma Emma McRae's book, she mentions £80,000 more. National numeracy say it's £150,000 more. So the recognition that you will earn more money over your lifetime at work, uh, the recognition that you're more likely to be called in for interview, because if your CV has got good maths and English mm. qualifications on there, you're more likely to be called in for interview than if you haven't got it. Uh, you might want to go to university later on. They know all of the reasons why they need it. And actually getting them to write it down, you can then refer back to it later on if it's on the wall. They keep them up on the wall for the first six weeks. And it's a brilliant, simple little exercise to do. Um, but the, I, I'm still convinced the main the main key turning point in the reset class is getting them to own the qualification for themselves. And that, that takes a bit of work. 
Absolutely. I, lo- I love that that postcard approach. Absolutely yeah, fantastic. Yeah, postcard and, pedagogy. And I think, postcard. <laughs> it could be a book, that, Julia. I like that. Yeah. Um, and what, what I think is, is coming through already, and I think this will be a theme throughout what we talk about, is that a lot of these strategies aren't just going to be restricted to research students. I'm thinking, no, straight, no. I'm thinking straight away, year 11, kind of lower sets, saying to the kids at the start of the year, you know, essentially, what, why, are you, why are you in this class? Yeah. Um, and yeah, why? What do you want to happen in June, and why? And it's it's the same kind of idea, isn't it? Because yeah. this is the kids who are in those classes inevitably may well be the kids that end up in college a year later, yeah. two years later, and so on and so forth. So I love Definitely. that postcard pedagogy. And um, again, and Julia, you, you've kind of you've, you've you've gone over this to a certain extent, but I just just want to give you the opportunity just to just to state it. What, what, why do you enjoy this so much, Julia? Because this is, teaching's a tough enough job as it is, but this I think this is right at the tough end of this kids who have experienced many 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 years of failure kids who don't possibly want to be there kids who essentially don't have to be there because as you say it's 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 a lot easier to kind of duck out of of college than perhaps it is of of school so Mm. why why are you so passionate about this oh well it's just because it it is the qualification that that means so much to to future prosperity to future economics in a family um, it's the one. It's the one qualification, if you like, uh, because English resets they don't have the same kind of um, situation that we have. The, the outcomes are a lot better, and that's on a very steady trajectory um, to get better going forward. Um, but maths, GCSE, uh, resets, you know, it means a lot to those students, and and I just kind of get some satisfaction in that. And then it annoys me that people don't know the situation that goes on in colleges. They they kind of a uh, government are a, a bit dismissive about it in some cases. Um, and that annoys me because when when you're a teacher of a reset class um, on the ground, you know, you have you have some horror stories. I, you know, I've, I've got teachers that I know have got 47 kids in their class. Wow. GCSE reset, 47 kids in a class. And this one lady I'm thinking of, I said, you know, how, how do you manage that? She goes, oh, it's all right. They don't all turn up, so that's okay. <laughs> well, that's not okay in anyone's <laughs> book, is it? The fact she's timetabled to deliver to 47 kids is outrageous, but there's no one else. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's the satisfaction of going in and, and and delivering training that you know works because you've done it yourself. Uh, it's, for me, it's about making more of an impact. I left school, I left college, I left schools uh, delivering because I wanted to have more impact um, to give those research teachers um, some really good tools, some effective tools that actually, like you say, work in year 11 as well because I've got lots of anecdotal bits and pieces where people have used the AQA 5 R's approach that's on the website, delivered that to year 11 very effectively. Um, and it has wider implications. NACRO, for example, have used this reset approach for their functional maths and their results went through the roof. Um, so you think about NACRO, social justice charity, fantastic organisation. Those students are given a choice by the judge. You either go to prison or young offenders or you go to NACRO to do some learning. What are you going to do? Well, they clearly go off to, to do some learning. And for those students to then leave NACRO, having made the right choice and having got a GCSE maths reset under their belt and having got maybe their functional maths under their belt, um, they've, got a, they've got a chance then, haven't they? I'm, I'm a bit more of a socialist than perhaps I think I am. Um, but it's about making a difference to, to kids' lives and, and just knowing that, what you do works for them you know some of the students we're not talking about 80 percent achievement here but for college to to try this approach and as some some cases 
of the reset approach that I bang on about. Uh, it's doubled their outcomes. A lot of places I know are very happy in that um, because, you know, there's 25,000 students out there that have got their grade four last year. Well, it'd be fantastic if that was 30,000 next yes. year. So we want the, the trajectory to start going up. Um, so it's very satisfying. It's very satisfying when I hear from teachers say, oh, that's gone ever so well, I, you know. Um, I've got far more students through this year than, than previously. It's lovely now to hear what students think about the approach as well because we're gathering that information. Um, and seeing the statistics, we've got this um, student padlet which we're using as part of the research project. And in a month, it's been used four and a half thousand times, nice. <laughs> which is just phenomenal. So, you know, that's, that's um, students are using it for revision outside of the classroom, which is exactly what we want. They, they're taking ownership of the qualification for themselves. So uh, we're looking at it with a lot of interest. Uh, yeah, and hopefully that will equate out to, to better outcomes for, for the people in the project. And who knows where it will go after that. Fantastic. That, that's my ideal plan. <laughs> that is a, a good plan, and we'll, we'll get into the Padlet and all that definitely as 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 we progress. Just a quick one on something you said there, Julia. Why is yes. it um, why is it that um, English reset doesn't have quite the same kind of low level of pass rate as, as maths? Do you have a sense of the answer to that one? Um, I'm not an English specialist at all, uh, but I just know that the trajectory is a bit more um, solid. Um, I think the, the delivery of it is a bit more prosaic. I think it's um, a standard kind of text that you can um, you can model students into the, the flavour of what the exam, chief examiners are looking for. With maths, you know, there are so many things that students aren't getting right if mm. they've got a grade three. Yes. Um, so the specifics of the maths exam... Um, and I think that the smaller proportion of, of one and two mark questions, maybe, which you don't get so much of in the English qualification, yes. um, I've probably got that all wrong. But, uh, <laughs> no, it makes sense. It makes I just sense. know the outcomes are a lot better. So instead of 18%, I think they're up at 28, 29%. Right. Wow, okay. So, so it's a big But there's less students sitting them as well, less mm. students resitting their GCSE English. Okay, fascinating. Right, well, you've you've kind of teased this five R's approach, and we're, we're about to get there. But beforehand, I just wanted to ask about things that you've um, kind of other approaches that you've seen that that aren't as successful. Perhaps the ones that you've used yourself before you've kind of devised and started using the five R's, or or, or things you've seen from other colleagues. Because yeah. again, the mistake the mistake I've made here, Julia, and I'm, I'm assuming that I'm I'm the kind of big cliche of this. So I teach in a school where there's a sixth form, um, and for many years I've had a GCSE reset class timetabled on my on my on my on my timetable. Um, often it's kind of one or two periods, um, and therefore the GCSE reset group will also have another teacher and that split classes approach doesn't often work just generally and um, but the mistake I've made is I just treat it as if it's any other class so again yeah. if it's fractions I reteach them how to do fractions if it's percentages I reteach them how to do that and it just doesn't work it just doesn't no. work at all so is, no. would that be the kind of most common mistake that you definitely see starting at the beginning um you, you, it's taking into account they've got a grade three already so they do know some maths uh, they've seen fractions since year three in primary school. They've seen mean, median, mode uh, since year six in primary school. And yet here they are at 16, 17, and they still can't do it. Yes. So it, it, they do know something about fractions. We'll take that as an example. But it's finding their starting point. That That's a key difference. Um, the reason I love the Corbett Maths Revision Card so much, and we're giving everybody who's part of the, uh, the project um, a pack, uh, one or two packs, 
is because that's a visible curriculum. So if you show that to a grade three student, so a starting point is put all those cards out on the table, give them uh, John's checklist, the foundation checklist of, of, of the topics. Uh, that's the whole of your curriculum. They're on one table and they've got a grade three. So what do you know already? So the student can self-assess immediately and they self-assess and they start to see, actually, yeah, I do know that. I know that. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I know a bit about that. I've never heard of that. So I can tell you automatically what they'll they'll have on their lists, that they'll be okay with decimals, they'll be okay with percentages, but fractions all know, you know. So they're red, amber, and green. Um, red will be vectors, maybe Venn diagrams. Um, but you forget that to get a grade four, they don't need 100%. Yes. They don't need 100%. They just need to make the jump from grade three to grade four. And, and this approach is not about grade boundaries. I'm not in the business of... Um, looking at grade boundaries and jumping exam boards because of grade boundaries. Who's to say that each exam board um, isn't going to jump around with grade boundaries? If you teach them really, really well and plug the gaps that they have and tackle the misconceptions, sort out their basics, they can happily move from a grade three to a grade four if they do some daily practice. The only way to get good at maths is to do maths. Just on that, Julie, it's a really interesting point, that, isn't it? Because you get you get a lot of schools, particularly when the GCSE spec changed a couple of years ago, there's a lot of concern about which exam board was best for hire, which was best yeah, for foundation yeah. and so on and so forth. I know yeah. many schools um, who will do hire kids will do one uh, awarding yeah. body, foundation kids will do another. Just in your yeah. experience, you're not concerned about that, are you not? Not uh, at all, because every exam board that I've ever worked with, and I've worked with a few now over the years, they're all in the business of helping students pass. They're not there to catch them out. Um, all of the support that they put in place is magnificent. Um, and for a school to make the judgment on it, which example to use, it is about looking at, well, what support am I going to get? Mm. It, you know, grade boundaries will come and go all, all of the time, and, and it does affect some students. It really, really does. However, um, if there were, there are mechanisms in place. So, you know, if there was a major problem, Ofqual would be onto it like a like a shot. Um, uh, good teaching doesn't is not dependent on the exam board. It's not about cheating the exam system. We have so much to learn from every exam board um, to help us deliver a really good reset course, as we do a, a year a year ten year eleven uh, school course. The chief examiner's reports are so underused. Mm. Um, in my experience so again that's been a big area of research for me pulling together this curriculum because they tell us you know students like our grade three students they make these mistakes they're not very good at this they they need more practice on this so develop your curriculum around that um that's you know that's a key key feature of of what we've tried to do so the exam boards are so helpful uh, then they're, they're not they are in competition with each other obviously but they're not in the business of um slagging each other off and i don't think we should either um you know they are professionals and that they're very very um happy to help um they they just want student more students to pass but they have to assess what students know and what they don't know (laughs) otherwise they they don't do their job properly so jumping between examples year on year and whatever for me I I always made the judgment on choosing an example on the level of support I would get 
makes perfect sense fantastic yeah. oh okay so we've identified that a, a mistake that i've certainly made and perhaps many teachers listening um will relate to this is 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 approaching research in the same way that you approach anything else and again just to pick up on the wider point i think that's true of year 11 uh, kind of foundation lower sets by the time yeah. they get there they've seen fractions you know eight years nine years factors and multiples they've seen it before but again they they've they've struggled with it so what we're going to talk about now i think is is equal as as relatable to, to those students as it is to the research so tell us Julia about about this this five R's approach and we're going to go really deep into this but just give us a bit of an overview well, where did this idea come from and, and what are the five R's um it was really just that that recognition I suppose I had a, a kind of a light bulb bulb moment um when I thought well they have seen all of this curriculum before they've seen everything they need to know to get a grade four they've seen everything they know to get a grade five however there are certain elements of it um that we could really focus on that will make a big difference so i did some work with west Suffolk college the, the most wonderful lindsay johnson um, who was vice principal at that time she's moved on now to manchester um and trevor hewlett and they just said okay what can we do julia so they gave me the freedom um, to try something different with them, with their uh, with their staff, and we devised uh, this five R's approach. So we thought about the fact that um, it's actually it's all about revision. So I approached um, Lindsay and said, you know, what does revision mean to you? And and we kind of said, well, you know, you get your revision books and you make notes and you put sticky notes everywhere and whatever. That's not the same for maths. You have to if you think about the word revision. It's seeing things differently. Seeing things differently to the first time you saw them. You're revisioning. You're seeing them with a different lens. That's lovely. So that's I really that. like. I just want to pause on that, Julia. Yeah. That's lovely. That seeing Fundamental things differently. Point. Revision. I like that. Lovely. Yeah. That. It's. It. You're seeing things differently. You have to see them differently because you didn't quite get it first time. So the basis of math revision, and I did some uh, quite a bit of research for a masters. Um, in GCSE Reset, um, which I've had to defer on because of um, my mother died, etc. So it's been a bit of a difficult time. However, research tells us, Dunlosky, who's the master of uh, mm. revision techniques, um, tells us the best way to revise is to make notes, uh, make start with spider diagrams, use a first letter strategy. That's all rubbish. It's all rubbish <laughs> for maths. Absolute rubbish. The only way to get good at maths is to do loads of maths. Mm. It's the only way to do it is, is to have a go at something uh try and figure it out um have a go at some questions about it what you're trying to do uh get them wrong figuring out why you went wrong practicing it enough it's practicing until you cannot get it wrong yes not practicing until you get it right it's practicing until you cannot get it wrong um so the whole premise of the five eyes is about it's a revision year you start revising from day one so then i looked into uh revision for math and there was a really good document, which I've loved for years, uh, on the NCETM site. Um, uh, I did ask Mark McCourt about it because I think he was very instrumental in drawing up this document. So it, it tells you, it gives you a PD um, module on how to get your students to revise for maths. And it's really good. Uh, it gives you a carousel idea with students that you can put a big flip chart on five or six tables and you ask them, the how, what, why, where, when, who is, do you revise maths? Uh, and it's a really good strategy to, to go for, a, particularly for a research student, but also for year 11. Um, so you put all these big sheets of paper and, and you ask them the questions, well, it's all about revision, you know enough now, uh, you've got a grade three, 
so how do you revise? How are you going to revise now in, in college? Well, I could go to the Learning Resource Centre. I could use um, my one-to-one support. I could use my old books from school. I could use the corporate maths revision cards. I could use this, that and the other. So, they, you know, they collectively think about how they revise, where they revise, uh, what they revise, when they revise, and why do they revise? And, how, you know, who do they do it with? So... They're really thinking about mass revision because it's all about revision and revision and, and, starts on day one. And just practically speaking, Julia, is this this is something you're doing with the kids kind of first lesson? Is this? With, yeah, with, early with on. Group? Yeah, early on. Yeah, early on, because, you know, it's, it's recognising that visible curriculum. So corporate mass revision cards, fantastic um, tool to show them the curriculum. Grant Access Maths has got his uh posters there the a3 posters for foundation uh he's got them for hire as well and it's just a qr code but it shows them the key topics that they need to know for foundation uh with a link off to a video about it and sorry um, to sorry to interrupt you one more time yeah. julia because i'm just thinking listeners are going to be listening to this thinking they're probably driving in their car pulling over thinking i've got to write these down <laughs> these sound great will you send me a bit of a, a link to to each of the kind of things that you mention here just so of listeners course. can follow it up is that all right perhaps i'll make you a padlet the crazy oh. The Craig Barton talking. Padlet special. I'll that do that for you. Easy amazing. Be um, amazing. Thanks, Julie. So that's a really good example of a of um, a Padlet. Uh, sorry, of a, of a resource which shows this visible curriculum and gives them tools by which they can actually start revising for themselves. So the whole purpose of the revision year approach is about getting students to realise they're revising and they've got to revise every day. Mm-hmm. Not just when they're with you in the classroom. When when they're with you in the classroom, you, you revise a key topic. Uh, but the idea is that you're building up routines. They have to do some routine, maths, 20 minutes, half an hour every day, more or less every day if they can in the week, outside of the classroom. So when you start then thinking about the key elements of the new curriculum, as it was then, it was very new to us all, and think about marrying that into the revision year approach, you're revisioning everything. Um, The five hours just kind of morphed naturally. So within any one hour of delivery Ofsted always mentioned pace you know how, how come it took an hour to, to do 10 questions so it was about trying to introduce some pace paciness and punchiness into lessons that didn't look feel sound like school and just kept the momentum going and did shed loads of mass in the hour so the first five minutes you spend on recalling information so things like what are the first 10 prime numbers what are the first? Uh, what are the six quadrilaterals? What do they look like? Sketch them. We'll talk about their names. Get the spelling right. Uh, what are the nine parts of the circle? So they're based on the Corbett Mass Revision cards. Those ninety key areas that they need to know. It's the assessment objective number one. Then you and have so that's for five minutes. Ask, again, yep. sorry to interrupt. I, I I love the practicalities of all this. So um, yeah. this first five minutes of the lesson. What are the kids doing? That you're you're kind of asking this question. Are they just question kind of jotting it down? Yeah, it could ah. be mini whiteboard. It could yep. be uh, that you're using something from Study Maths, Jonathan's website from MathSpot. Yes. So there are lots of different options for you to do five minutes of recall. You could do it just question and answer. Uh, you could have it a pre-prepared ten questions to do in five minutes. Just the quick, punchy AO1 type questions just to start the lesson off. Got it. Um, now, my, my lots other... of different ideas to do, how people want to do that. 
Now, my other question on this is, um, so we, you mentioned Mark McCourt before. When, when he was on the podcast for the second time, it was all kicking off because he, he, he hates starters for lessons. Yeah. He, he hates these yeah. recall retrieval-based starters. And one of, yeah, yeah. One, of his, one of his arguments is that kids don't take them seriously. Kids kind yeah. of don't think too hard. They arrive late to lessons and all this. Well, what's your take on that? Because, again, my, my experience of, of reset within, within a school is that, again, you, you're very lucky if all kids are arriving to lesson at the same time on time yeah. so do, yeah. is, is that an issue and how do you make them take this part of the lesson seriously Julia well it's about selling the five hours approach it's all about revision so mm. it's not about a starter I'm not starting to go into something I'm not uh, start, starting off where I left off last yes. time everything yes. is standalone so five minutes of recall is is just the one mark questions if you like um which is bigger you know a half or 0.449 mm. um that was a bad example um that's a good one i like it, that one <laughs> it's not it's not a um it's not a starter in the traditional sense of a starter while you're taking the register. Yes. With, with the five hours approaches, they have a load of revision tools. There is no excuse for a student to be sitting there doing nothing waiting for you. They have access to things on their uh, phone, which will help them. They maybe have their revision book that they used at school. There is always things for students to do. So sitting there doing nothing in a further education college class isn't really an option if they're yes. going to engage. They, they say it won't hit everybody, so this is, this is where it kind of uh, falls down a bit. If you look on the coaching models, you know, success builds success, so work with those that are doing everything right. And you think about a 17-year-old welder, when do they ever get told, oh, you're doing really, really well today, what a great chap you are, fantastic, you know, keep going. Um, they, they crave that. 16, 17-year-old welders and engineers, in my experience, health and social care girls, they like you to keep praising them. Well, I'm only going to praise them if they're doing shed loads of maths. <laughs> right, I see. Um, so it, the recall isn't the starter, it's just factual. It's factual, factual. You need to know, show me an acute angle. Give me an example of a, an obtuse angle. Um, you know, measure the size of this angle. Uh, draw a draw a circle with a five centimeter radius. It's fast. It's punchy. It's recalling information. That's all it is. It's not a starting to something. It's not carrying on where we left off last time. It's standalone. Got it. And I think the the key point there is that the kids see this as important because it's one of these five R's, right? Like it, yeah. it's it, it's a, a fundamentally important part of, of this approach to, to to their reset. That that's fascinating. Yeah. That. So that's the first okay. R's recall. Okay. What well, what yeah. comes next? Then you've got routine maths. So you've got the jumble of maths that, so they've got a grade three. They do know some maths. They still need to know that next June. Mm. So you have 10 minutes of recall of routine maths. So again, we try and introduce routines. Um, so you've got Corbett Maths 5 a day as an option. You've got Just Maths Bread and Butter documents as well, which are fantastic because each one builds on the previous one. There's uh, 16 weeks worth of three workshops a week there. It's all free. Everything's free in the 5 Rs curriculum, apart from the Corbett Maths cards, um, which is why I give them, <laughs> give them away. Um, yeah, so the routine maths is, is really about the routine stuff they need to keep chugging on with that they remembered previously, but in exam, in, in question form. So the recall bit could just be question and answer, but not yes. exam questions. Um, the recall, sorry, the routine part, the 10 minutes of routine stuff is your corporate maths five a day. Don't forget that John's got three levels there. He's got numeracy, foundation and foundation plus. 
Um, so it's really good in terms of challenging students. You know, start off with the numeracy one early on in the term, maybe move to foundation, or you find your own level, depending on how hard you want to work or how easy you're finding the work. There's actually five levels, because if you bring higher and higher plus into it, you know, there's plenty of um, options there for students to do more than five a day. Um, so the routine part is, is populated. There's, there's brilliant stuff, again, on MathSpot. Um, so for, for doing that type of thing, the um, AFL stuff we've got on there. Can I ask again practicalities here? So if we take, if we assume that, um, let's say, you're going to use one of the core but five-a-day foundations, is every child getting the same questions, and are they are they printed and handed out to the kids, and can kids work together, or is it a do it on your own job? How, how does it play out practically? Again, um, a lot of places I go to, further education colleges have no money. There's several several institutions I know that will not print anything out. So the whole thing about the five hours is that they're using devices, they're using, you're using the smart board, um, you're lucky if you find mini whiteboards around. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's a very, very difficult arena to work in, just on a practical basis. Um, the point is once you introduce the tools and then all of the tools are on the student padlets, they haven't got any excuse to do Nothing, if you see what I mean. Someone will have a, a laptop or a, a phone, and all of these things play very well on their phone, or you can display them on the board. Um, so there are ways and means. That, you know, It shouldn't be the case that they're waiting for the teacher uh, to display something. However, the teacher, I would suspect, depends how early on in the course you're doing it, they might start off with foundation and then move to foundation plus after Christmas if, if you're displaying yes. it up on the board. Um, but if you've got a whiteboard at the side, it doesn't take too long to write up five questions sure. either side. Um, some of the best college rooms now for teacher uh, for teaching in have got whiteboards all around the room. Yeah, that's my so, favourite. My favourite setup. Yeah, now. definitely. So yeah, it, it is logistically difficult, especially when you haven't got a printing budget. Yes. <laughs> um, so and again, you you try and encourage students to use their phones appropriately it's different in in post 16 than it is in the school i appreciate that um but it is about introducing these these routines and and printing off corporate math five a day you know is a necessary resource uh and something you could justify within your photocopying budget however a lot of places as i said don't have photocopying budgets so um and what about the again the practicalities of, of kids working through these are they trying them on their own first then confirm with the person next to them what, well, what, what, what do you advise there dylan william tells us to make the students resources for one another so that's a, that's the very best way to go isn't it if you find someone that can can do a, a question oh that's really good you know you're pythagoras mm. maybe you could help the other two um on the on the table there um it's all it's all about that collaborative learning if you go back to the eight effective principles uh, with Malcolm Swan, you know, just trying to get students to to feel that it's okay to make mistakes in that space. That's another big yes. big key, key feature of maths, isn't it? You know, they're, they're here because they haven't been able to do it very well before. Um, so trying to get them into that sense where it doesn't matter if you get it wrong. Um, someone collectively in the class, collectively as a group, they will be able to answer all of those Corbett Maths 5 a day. Um, however, you've got to get to the stage where they they know that they're there to support one another as well. And that yes. is, it is a challenge, I, I, you know, don't deny that. That's why we're not getting 80, 90% achievement with the, with the five R's. But 
doubling outcomes is pretty good, I think. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and um, my last practical question about, about this routine part, Julia. Um, yes. In terms of the answers, what, what happens there? Is the teacher just project them up or goes through each question or do the kids get involved? What, what works best there with that, with that Again, section? Again, you know, there's a variety of ways in which you can do it, isn't there? Um to encourage them to do it outside of the classroom, you encourage them to take a, a screenshot of what they've done. Mm. All of the answers are there on the Corbett Maths website yes. anyway, uh, which is a bonus. The Maths Bot one as well, and that's a key feature of this revision year approach. And Maths, they want instant feedback. Yes. They want to know whether it's right or wrong. And then, uh, again, another good strategy is to say, right, here's the question. Not many of you answered this correctly. Here's the answer. See if you can marry the two together. Mm. Uh, a really mm. good, really good strategy is that, especially for the, the larger questions, immediate questions. Yes. Um, you know, and that takes the pressure of them having to find the answer. Um, and we'll come on to another favourite resource um, a bit later on where that's done fantastically well and, and students absolutely love it. Research students absolutely love the oh, approach. Like, that's a good good tease for later. That, yeah, yeah. Keep, keep the listeners hooked in. That's one of your hooks. <laughs> I like that. So yeah. we've got we've got the first two parts there. So we've got the, the recall and we've got the routine. So we're about, about 15 minutes into the lesson. Would that yeah. be right? Five minutes for the first, 10 for the second. Okay, well, what happens next? So now you have 15 minutes of revising one of the key topics. Okay. So, um, again, I took the influence from Mel at Just Maths. Uh, she had initially a top 40, to, uh, most commonly occurring, most frequently occurring exam topics that are likely to come up. So, um, starting off uh, with a topic, so it might be Pythagoras. Uh, you might show them the, the photograph, of, as, I, as I said, of a desired pathway, something to hook them in about the particular topic. Um, ask them what they know already, because collectively... They'll probably know everything about Pythagoras, but it's a question of teasing it out and pulling it all together. So it's it's a big discussion. It might be some prompts. It might be a bit of a, a talk about Pythagoras, you know, give them a bit of the historical background if you think they're going to be interested. So 15 minutes of pulling together what we know already about Pythagoras and clarifying a few points, because I know if I say that, I'll get, oh, yeah, it's an A squared and a... Oh, yeah, and it's a square root, and it's a triangle, and it's hypotenuse. You know, you'll hear a lot of the, the key features, mm. um, but it's about pulling that all together and making sure at the end of 15 minutes, because it's 15 minutes of revision of that topic, um, that you've, you've actually clarified what Pythagoras is. And then Pythagoras, the theorem, will then come in to the later recall. So when you do your recall in a few sessions' time, you want to come back and make sure what's Pythagoras' theorem. You want to hear A squared plus B squared equals C squared. So the 15 minutes of revision is really clarification, trying to tackle a few misconceptions. You might not get it all done because you're going to come back over it anyway because it will appear in a later section uh, later on down the year. Um, so you've got 15 minutes of just talking and discussing and maybe looking at some visuals, maybe um, having a look at a classic uh, misconception uh, about Pythagoras. So that's for 15 minutes. And then you go on to exam questions. You're repeating the same revision technique, the, the re, same revision topic, but you're looking at three or four questions, exam can questions. Just, 
can I just circle back briefly, Julia, yeah. to this this discussion thing? And I, again, I want to play devil. I, I like to play devil's advocate where yeah, yeah. possible on, on these podcasts. So one thing I've really changed about my teaching, particularly my kind of delivery of worked examples, yeah. is that I tend to have far less discussion from the students before I teach a method or procedure for, for the yeah. very reason that often um, I'll say, let's take something like Pythagoras. I'll say, okay, um, any any thoughts? What do we do? here and inevitably misconceptions and wrong answers will, will be flying around the room and I used to really enjoy that because I used to think yeah. oh, fantastic this is an opportunity to really get down into the weeds and pull it out but I found those discussions used to take absolutely ages and at the end yeah. of it the kids ended up more confused than they were at the start so where's the argument against uh, what, what would you say to this so I've got a group of research students um, I want to teach them Pythagoras I want to make yeah. sure they understand Pythagoras yeah. um, where's the argument against essentially just telling them all the right things with Pythagoras as clear as you can and then assessing their understanding via the exam questions well what's the benefit of trying to get that information and knowledge from the kids if that makes sense because I think in a further education college a lot of them will be on vocational courses mm. so say it depends on your audience to a certain degree but a lot of them will come across Pythagoras if they're in construction. Um, and they might not know it as Pythagoras, they might know it as the 345 rule. Or some kids may have yes. heard of it as 345 from builders, parents, whatever. Um, so it's about their starting points and the relevance to them as well. So it depends on audience in a, in a further education college. Yes. It could be that actually you're going to come across this in your course. <laughs> your uh, construction tutor might call it 345. Um, if you look at scaffolding, scaffolding is done on, on the basis of Pythagorean triples. I never knew that. Um, so, you know, the triangles in scaffolding poles are all Pythagorean triples. Okay, oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's kind of, oh, yeah, you know, she does know what she's talking about. It gives me a <laughs> bit more credibility, perhaps, if I start talking about that. Um, but it is, it is recognising that these are research students, and there is that, there is, a, I, get, I do get quite a few, um, not hate mail, but I do get quite a few people <laughs> really disagreeing with um, some of the conceptual understanding stuff because conceptual understanding um, is very, very lacking in our grade three students. Okay, so they've got a grade three, but mm. basically, you know, if you're asking them to divide fractions, they've got KFC, they've got yes, multifarious yes. different methods. They do not understand conceptually um, about dividing fractions Yes, in year 10, year 11, year 9, wherever, it would be about reciprocals all the way. In year 12, as we're talking about in post-16, you haven't got time to tackle too much yes, conceptual yes. understanding. Um, and in my, in my book, it's chicken and egg as well. So which came first? Is it about getting someone successful, helping them to be successful at something they've never been able to do since year 3, dividing fractions, for example, um, getting them successful because then actually they might ask, well, how does that work? Um, yes. Oh, I understand that now. You know, show me some more. Uh, you've got to try and develop that curiosity. Well, I, that I, th I think... I think I think this is kind of my, my my point I'm trying to make that if we've got we've got limited time here right well we're mm. packing a lot into the, this five hours approach I'm loving the structure and I'm thinking mm. right every every second counts in this oh, absolutely. And, I'm, and I'm just thinking if we've got a topic such as Pythagoras and I'm going around the kids saying what do you think of this who knows it blah 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 and um, I can just see those 15 minutes being eaten up whereas oh, yeah, I, yeah. I always I always, and I always think if we, we mentioned Dylan William before one of my favorite Dylan William quotes is that every decision a teacher makes has an opportunity cost because 
because it's time that could be spent doing something else. And I'm just yeah. thinking, would mm. it not be better for well, or, or what's the argument against me trying my very hardest to come up with a really good explanation of Pythagoras with visuals, with different representations? And then using the time that I've saved there to then ask the students more difficult questions, show them different exam questions and so on and so forth. Do, do, do you find that these discussions take longer, but that actually they have a value that, that makes them worthwhile, if that makes sense? Yeah, definitely, because you've got you've to get them curious and you've got to hook yes. them in. Um, yes. John Hattie, um, so I'm going to counter your Dylan Willem <laughs> argument with John <laughs> Hattie. Um, I counter your defense. Um, you know, he'll, he'll say, you're the only person paid to teach them about Pythagoras. You're the only person who's going to be paid to teach them right. uh, about Pythagoras to, to answer those type of questions. So if they, if they can't do it one way, you are charged, if you like. Your job is to find yes. another way in. And it's to find another way in if that doesn't work. And it's to find yes. another way in. So it's finding ways in through discussion, through through showing the misconceptions, through, you know, even things like take, stripping it right back, squares and square roots, you know, talking about the, you know, the, the um, prerequisite requirements to be yes. able to tackle Pythagoras in the first place. It might be that you've got to step right back with some students, but it's about collaboration and helping one another as well and, and, and getting that environment where it is okay to make mistakes as well and, and say things that are wrong because, you know, that's a that's a very... Getting them to say a lot of things in a lot of cases is, is a real challenge. I, I tell you um, what, you, but you, showing you, them things, the hooks have been really major, showing them something that's quite interesting that they've never seen before... Um, you know, that, that sparks that curiosity in the first place and showing them real life things as well, I think really helps, especially in further education, because, again, Professor Susan Wallace, they're really there in name only. If you make it relevant to things they might be doing vocationally uh, or relevant to life, oh, yeah, I've seen those. I've seen those desire pathways. Oh, yeah, there's one at the back of the college. Uh, it goes up to the bus station, you know, that they now know a thing that they didn't know before. That's <laughs> um, so that's sparking where... that curiosity. So the hooks, uh, and again, we, we mentioned briefly your Padlet for hooks, which I think is absolutely fantastic. In terms of the five R's approach, th this is where that would come in, is it? It's yeah, in this yeah. kind of third section as a way to to introduce something that we know the kids have seen before, but introduce it in a yeah. way that feels different and sparks that curiosity. Would that be yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. Definitely, um, definitely. I'll, I'll tell you what, Julie, what I'm thinking here, I'll tell you the bit I'd find the hardest so far about this is yeah. is being disciplined enough to essentially stop this third section after, yeah. let's say, 15 minutes. Because I'm thinking to Pythagoras and again, when, when kids first meet that, they've perhaps got a week to do oh, that, yeah, you know, yeah. like a yeah, four yeah. or five lessons. Yeah, and they've had a week of it. They've had two weeks of it before yes. year 11. It's all about revision. So the point about cutting it off mm. is cognitive load, isn't it? The point of bits, yes. okay, right, we've, we've sorted out a few bits. We don't know it all yet. Right. Let's have a okay. go at these three questions. That's, Let's see how to get on with it. That's interesting. And again, that, I would imagine that's hard for both teacher and student to say, to, to, to say, OK, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if we don't understand every single aspect. This is because, again, this isn't going to be the only time they see this. Pythagoras, no, no, they'll right? come this back. Is it's a spiral. It is the spiral yes, curriculum. Right, um, okay. And also it's the fact that we know from chief examiners reports and exam analysis that if they see a question about Pythagoras, maybe that it's not, you know, they're not told it's Pythagoras. It's a right angle triangle or a. A chap standing on a cliff, whatever. Um, you know, they 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 won't recognise it, and yes, it's got four marks. Yes. They won't even attempt it. They won't yes. even get one mark. If they put down Pythagoras' theorem, they might get a mark. 
if they put down um, hypotenuse and if they put down certain elements and draw their own little triangle with a right angle in it, uh, they might get one mark. So we know that from the meteor questions, which Pythagoras certainly is, they're not even attempting them because they're put off. But within that revised part, you're talking about exam, good exam technique all the way through. Um, you're talking about any diagrams that you write. You might want to do a diagram on the side. Put that in the answer bit because that's a bit that gets scanned in. There's no yes. point putting any pictures above and below because sometimes the markers won't even know that it's there. So you're introducing um, some good exam technique as well. And, and really, just if you don't know what to do, just put Pythagoras' theorem down. At least you know that. You might get one mark. That's um, you might you Just square that number. Square root that number. You might get another mark. You never know. So they're not even attempting those meteor questions, which, again, is something in a, re in a revision year approach. You know, what could you do to get one mark? What could you do to get two marks? Yes. Uh, to try and help them have a go at it, whereas previously we know that they're not even attempting them. That's inter that's interesting. So I, th I think I, I think this is starting to make a, a, a lot of sense to me now, Julie. So in that in this fifteen minutes when we do this re revision part, we're going to essentially hook them back into this to this topic. We're going to have some we're going to have a a discussion about what they know and kind of draw out that, and that's where the teacher is going to try and come in at different angles to try and make it make sense. There's going to yeah. be periods of clarification there by the yep. teacher where we're going to bring it together and mm. then it's going to move towards this exam side of things where we start looking at questions how we might answer them what we might need to do to get the marks is that is that, is that right within this definitely, 15 minute definitely. yeah so you i mean there's there's my favorite approach i mean i've learned a lot from you as well uh, your book is on my bookcase i'm looking at it now <laughs> um is that you know the silent approach the first question mm. i'm going to model it i'm going to do this and you do it very yes, considered very yes. uh, uh, straightforward it's a straightforward pythagoras question for example uh, you'll go through that don't say a word they can mm. follow you mm. the second question we both start together nice. so they'll then have an attempt at it but they can look at the board yes. to watch you if they're if they're getting it a little bit or you know to come to something and they can't carry on they can watch you the third question they start first but you then start maybe a minute later Right, um, and okay, then if they've nice. got a fourth question, they might want to attempt that one on their own. You might not got get it. through one or two, you know, but it's all about doing loads of maths, <laughs> of um, as much maths as possible. And, and sometimes you're right that the discussions are difficult to stop and, it, and sometimes it's, it's wrong to stop them. So if something lasts 20 minutes, that's fine again, because the only reason really for this small chunks of learning, small chunks of different activity is about pace of a lesson, keeping mm. them in, keeping them um, involved in the maths um, and not letting them linger too long if they're stuck. Um, yes. So, you know, if something does last 20 minutes, 25 minutes even, if it's going really, really well, carry on with it. It's going really well um, yes. as long as they're doing lots and lots of maths. Got it. Got it. Okay, so that's that. That's the third section. And that's, so we've just to recap here, we've got... Uh, we've got recall, recall routine, yep. Yep. revision. Is that right? Revise, yeah. Revise a topic. Repeat right. the topic, but for exam questions. Oh, so three and four. Oh, I see. So the three exam and four gives you half an hour, if you like, on that Got key topic. Got it. Got it. That so that the stage, the stage <laughs> three is the kind of setting up, ready to do the stage four yeah. kind of exam. I yeah, yeah. see perfectly. So stage four, sorry, that's repeat and that's exam focused. Is exam that right? questions on the topic you've just revised. Uh, so it. three or four proper exam questions. 
So right. either from just maths topic tests or corporate maths or, you know, there's loads of places, MathBot, there's loads and loads of places you can get those uh, specific GCSE questions from. Got it. I like it. So that's half an hour that's uh, of the lesson that's essentially dedicated to this one kind half of... Half an hour key. in any one hour, because in don't forget there's three hours of delivery usually a week. Got it. Fantastic. And then, uh, again, my, my, my maths is out here. How long have we got left of the lesson? 10, and what, 10 to what, 15 what? minutes usually, and that's all about exam techniques. So that's where we take it right back to the first eight questions. Right, the first okay. eight questions, for a grade three student, they will commonly make some numpty errors. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> they have... Um, you know, copied something down incorrectly or got yes. the times tables wrong or put the decimal point in the wrong place or used the wrong units. Um, and when you look at them with a student, they'll go, oh, yeah, why did I put that? They know. Yeah, they just don't yeah. take any care and attention over those first eight questions. So the first eight questions are hugely influential because if they manage to maximise their um, chances of getting every mark in those grade one, grade two and grade three questions mm. early on, They've, you know, they've snatched back a few marks, which um, is going to serve them very well. Um, so Graham, bless his heart, at Edexcel, um, when we trialled the five R's, when I trialled the five R's last year, beginning of last year, he put together a first eight question paper for me for non-calculator and calculator. So I've got two papers. Um, and the basis of the last 10 minutes is really talking about exam technique, picking key statements out from the chief examiner's report. Um, and trying a few of the one and two mark questions that come up very early on on the exam um, paper, um, recognising they have to get, you know, snatch as many of those marks as they can yes, because they're the flipping yes. easiest to do. <laughs> yeah, um, so it's about really good exam technique, understanding how the questions are marked, uh, understanding where you have to write, understanding that you have to make your numbers look like numbers. Understanding yes. if you get something wrong, don't obliterate it off the planet. Understanding that you have to write in black pen because it gets scanned in. Um, so you can draw into that part just some key facts about marking an exam technique. And that's all taken from the chief examiner's reports from all of the exam boards, I have to say, the main um, exam boards, so AQA, um, Edexcel and OCR. But the first eight papers... Um, are very, very useful as well. And, and actually within the project, Graham's made us another two. Um, AQA do have a document which is the one mark question. So again, that that's a very good source of information to use in that last part. Um, it's, it's those first eight questions are crucial for grade three. They will lose marks in those first eight questions because they've got some gaps in their basic skills um, in the basics. So we, need, we really need to plug those gaps as well. So it's another key feature of the revision. It's, it's fascinating that, Julie. So we've certainly found with our kids something that's been really, um, really successful with them is, is showing them um, examples of other students who've answered questions. So we, for example, um, either from the examiner's report or if any of our teachers have been markers, if they have examples of, yes. of, of questions that didn't get marks or lost marks and so on and so forth, that in terms of engagement, and we talked about engagement early on, again, the right kind of engagement for the kids, showing them an example of another student's uh, work and saying, yes. why, why didn't this get a mark? It's just... Yes. It does something to kids, doesn't it? That it, they, they seem to like that approach. It's absolutely, and, it's... and I'm going to share with you now my secret 
my special secret website that I absolutely love. Oh, and that's, okay, okay, that, world exclusive. Let's go. <laughs> I'll put it, it on your Padlet. Don't you worry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's from Steve Blades. Maths with a four. M four ths dot com. I don't know if you're aware yes, of it. Yes, I am. Yes, but I don't Fantastic. use it. I don't use it enough. Go on, tell me why. He's got the why. right and wrong challenges on there. I don't know if you've seen those. No, There's I haven't. Forty I haven't. rounds of right and wrong challenges, and they are absolutely flipping superb. They're brilliant. <laughs> I've been using them since 2012. I use them in secondary. Um, and I think I use them at the Peru as well. So basically there are 40 rounds of 10 yeah. questions on YouTube. There's a YouTube channel. Again, it's a, it's a lovely F word. It's free. Um, <laughs> so you can use them. The first one uh, is non-calculator. I can actually visualize it. Um, so you get 10 questions. It's all silent. And yeah. all the student has to do is look at the one mark question and figure out if what the student is doing, all you see is this lovely pen doing the workings out. You have to figure out if that's right or wrong. Nice. And it's absolutely superb. So in 10 questions, there'll be three or four that will be wrong. Yes. It tells you which ones are wrong at the end. But the way in which I model is it, you show them the question and look at the answer and then just say to the students, is that right or wrong? And they'll say, oh, yeah, no, that's right. That's okay. Or, well, no, that's wrong. It should be this. Yeah. Okay. Second question. You see the question, and before the student starts, you say, right, if he's likely to get it wrong, what would he do? Wow, that's lovely. And if he's likely to get it right, what should the answer be? So let's see if he's made an umpty error. So you're prejudging the misconception before it happens, and then when they do actually make the 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 classic misconception, so 2 to the power of 4 is 8, you know, we we all have a groan, oh, what a numpty, what a numpty (laughs) is, you know. But it takes that pressure off them. It's not them making the numpty error, but they're identifying it. So that is a superb resource. I've used it forever now. Um, 40 rounds, you've got enough there for one uh, little part of, you know, that would go into the... um, the uh, ready section you know you can have a fantastic discussion for 10 minutes about those 10 questions and it tackles every misconception that a grade three student will make it was for the old grade c but it it doesn't need any any changing at all because it's still superb so it's my one of my favorite resources ever um thanks to seed blades that is lovely so just to clarify that final section is called ready is that right exam ready yeah so that you know you, you talk about things like um You've got to have a protractor. You've got to be able to use a protractor. You've got to talk about compasses. You, you know, all of the things the chief yes, examiners tell yes. us that students aren't very good at, they're the easiest things to sort out. Get the protractors out, get the rulers out, get the compasses out. Calculator use, um, you know, so much can be done on the calculator that the students don't realise. So, um, yeah, there's lots that. can be done in that final section as well. I absolutely love this, Julia, and I promise I'm not just saying this. I think it's absolutely brilliant. This I love. I love the structure. I love the fact that it would give me as a teacher something to follow, um, and I love the fact that no part of this five R approach takes too long it's not as if you're doing an hour on one thing because as soon as you start doing an hour on one thing a couple of issues happen one is the kids don't concentrate again whether it's cognitive overload or whatever we want to label it as but also you have the classic differentiation issue where some kids probably do need that hour whereas some kids actually 10 minutes on that would 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 suffice and then the rest of the time will be better spent doing something else whereas this is it's short it's sharp there's i mean god knows how how many different topics are you covering here within each hour maybe yeah, 10 yeah. 15 I've, 20 i've always it's... had kind of a 60 minutes you should be doing 60 questions and, and quite yeah, frequently nice. i'd put a tally chart up on the board of how many questions we've done because that shows students oh we've done loads of maths brilliant yeah let's do 60 questions in 60 minutes that's a, a great rate the pace you know pace to, to be going through isn't it 
Um, it's perfectly possible, but um, yeah, it's, it, it really is just suiting the style and recognising the starting point of a research student, but it does have a lot of lot of um, places for bottom set year 11 oh 100 um, percent. Oh, again skills. and not just and not just yeah. bottom set year 11 right i mean this yeah. this is this is je- like i'm thinking for a start i'm thinking any year 11 because by the time you're getting towards the exam and essentially you finish teaching the syllabus and it becomes this revision it, it, yeah. it, it, it you're not teaching new stuff no. this is a really solid structure to be using for, for any group every part of this is important and, it, and it's there for a reason i, I yeah. love it yeah, no, thank you, thank you, and it's all, all credit to AQA as well. Andrew Taylor, he he gave me the 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 power, if you like, to just to to build the curriculum, and then we trialled it at West Suffolk College because they were an AQA centre, and and they went from seventeen percent achievement to thirty five in one year wow. for high grade GCSE outcomes. So, you know, that was that was a really lovely starting point for for me, and and working with AQA then that was really good. Um, let me ask you, you mentioned that a key part of this approach is also what the kids do outside the lessons, yes. this doing this this regular maths and at Definitely. least 20 minutes or 30 minutes a day. Um, so, so two questions on that, Julia. What, what does that daily maths look like and, and how do you get the kids to do it? Yeah, so um, I have a student Padlet, um, which I tailor make depending on the organisation. So, uh, for example, I, I went and did um, a whole college revision day for Leeds City College last year before the June exam, um, and I built Leeds College, college students uh, a revision Padlet. And everything that's on there uh, is stuff that they can go and practice with, um, that will, so we've got um, Jonathan Hall's uh, countdown to the exam, so they know exactly when it is and how many days they've got left and really focuses the mind. Um, then there's Corbett Maths 5 a day, there's a link off to, to those um, areas so they know that they can maybe watch a video a day and maybe do the 5 a day. Uh, they know that they can go on to um, 30 second challenges. Uh, which will help with their mental maths capacity. There's um, the things that you get in the Daily Mail um, yes. where they've got a beginner, intermediate and advanced level. There's an online version of that. Um, there's a couple of little games on there, so you can't do maths, uh, simple maths under pressure, which when you get up to the levels, that, that really tackles their, their uh, times tables as well, and students love it. Um, there's lots of maths spot bits in there, number of the day. There's form time ideas. Dot com from Jonathan again, uh, which is the numeracy part of it. Everything on there will mark it for them, so they'll get instant results. Mm. One of the biggest things that we've put on, I've, I've put onto the Padlet, I keep saying we, it's only me, um, <laughs> <laughs> I've put onto the Padlet is onmaths.com. I don't know, you're probably familiar with onmaths. I do, yes. I don't but know again, who I... creates that, I need to meet them because it's phenomenal. <laughs> Yeah, and just so that's on maths.com. And because, yes. uh, and the reason I'm, I'm really pleased you brought this up is, and it's the same with the, the maths with the uh, four. Uh, again, it's yes. hard to say, isn't it? The, it is. The, the, <laughs> I think mean, a marketing issue there with that one. But whenever um, whenever I mention some of these sites at, um, at conferences or workshops, they're not that well known, certainly no. not well known as some of the other no, big ones. Maths.com and, and, and maths with a four is amazing. Um, but so on maths.com, when you show that to a, a research student, um, they will go and they will sit a past paper and it is graded for them immediately. So they get to know whether the question was right or wrong. They can watch a walkthrough of the paper if they don't want to have a go at it themselves. Um, they can see, because it marks 
it gives you the maximum amount of marks you should be getting and it shows you the actual marks like a like a thermometer you know on the side so you can see exactly where it's approaching the average type of grade for that particular example so they've got predicted papers which were really good last year and the year before um but it's got so much more on that website but it's about instant feedback if a student has done some maths they want to know there and then whether it's right or wrong so all of the things that are on the student padlet are things that will give them the results there and then um whether they got it right or wrong because it's instant the the fact about putting it onto a padlet means that they don't have to use usernames and passwords it's instant it's just a url and they're straight in um and it's just like a giant sticky board really but with lots of different exercises lots of videos lots of pictures lots of games that they can have a go on i've also put on there uh little clips just to kind of put them in the moment of the exam success so things like um, there's three little comedy uh, clips from Armstrong and Miller uh, about exam invigilators, uh, just to remind them about the exam, but they're absolutely hilarious. Only three minutes long, absolutely brilliant. Um, and there's also the little video about the boy who sat his reset and took his uh, results slip home to show his dad, and his dad cries. Um, absolutely brilliant. It went viral a few years ago, but that's on there as well, just to, just to make it light-hearted. And, and the feedback yes. already on the student padlets in the research project is, oh, this is great, love this. And it's been used in four and a half thousand times in a month <laughs> with 44 institutions. So, wow. you know, if that then relates to, to impact and um, if that relates to higher outcomes, then that would be a key feature of, of the project. But, you know, we, we can't determine that until the end. But you just get to give them tools where they can do practice. Now, a lot of people that I meet say, yeah, but we use MathsWatch, we use Hegarty Maths, we use this, we use my maths, we use that. Um, but A, it's username and password. Mm. And B, um, one of the, I won't say who it is, but one of the uh, settings I worked with, he said, Julia, if they were going to use my maths uh, in school, they wouldn't be in my class now. They wouldn't be in this reset <laughs> class now. So what is the point of doing something that they've seen before? Um, and that really resonated as well. So... There are colleges for, for which those things will work and do work, and if they've got, you know, happy outcomes, absolutely lovely. But for, for a lot of colleges, that's not the right approach, um, and it's, you know, just needs something that they've, they've never seen before. Padlet is such a wonderful mechanism. It's so easy to use, and students love it. I love it. And as I say, listeners are going to benefit from the, the special Mr. Barton oh, podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> um, just just to this kind of second part of my question, are you is it a concern that you perhaps not able to track how much work these these kids are doing? So I guess that's the downside, isn't it, of, of, of having something where the kids aren't logging in. It's not the case that the teacher can go on and see, oh, this child's done 30 minutes on this and so on. Is is that an issue or, or are you happy to kind of trust I that think the kids the are going to be doing this? Hopefully this one of the things we're measuring is attendance as well so hopefully if students are liking the lessons and seeing that actually this is quite different then the attendance will go up because they mm. want to be there mm. uh, again colleges have to do a lot of chasing um, post 16 for attendance um, and I think you've still got your key assessment um, your key assessment points throughout the year so that doesn't stop um, one of the other things that we've focused on um, for the five hours is uh, the basic skills uh, tests early on um, so we know what students come in with in terms of their UMS marks. We know that um, they will have some gaps in their basics. So I've devised three basic skill tests, which, which just test the nine basics, adding up, taking away, multiplying, dividing, 
fractions, decimals, percentages, scale and ratio. They will have a gap in those easy questions uh, if they've got a grade three. There will be several gaps. Um, so there's three basic skill assessment papers which we ask that settings um, get them to sit early on. Um, and those are the first things to plug with uh, alternative methods. And this is where the the money can't buy mathematical tea tail comes into play um, <laughs> uh, because it's a gimmick really but it's a really good discussion point to start talking about well how do you do that multiplication um how tell do you, you yeah tell so us to go go into detail about this tea yeah so it's got um about 14 different ways of doing some of the elements of the nine basics so the subtraction there's two different ways you could do subtraction. I absolutely love fraction division, the method that's on the tea towel, which someone showed me, which just blew my mind. Um, can you give us a bit of a tea? T- can you describe it? Does it yeah, work so over audio? If you think of a, um, if you think of what, of what's the example? One third divided by three sevenths. Okay, okay. So our normal approach, back in the olden days when I was taught by Mr. Barton, <laughs> funnily, funnily enough, Mr. Barton years and years ago, right. um, no relation, I, I assume, um, you would find, you know, you would find your common denominator, etc. You would, you would have a go at, at dividing those fractions in whichever way right. um, is necessary. But if you think about two divided by four, yes. another way of writing that would be as a fraction two. And over over the four, wouldn't it? Okay. Yep. Yeah. So um, I hope you're writing this down. So two, uh, <laughs> two divided by four would then become two quarters, wouldn't it? Yes. And yes. then simplify it gives you a half. Yeah? Yes. If you take one third divided yeah. by three sevenths. Okay. But lay it out in the form of one fraction. So you've got one third at the top yes. over three sevenths. So I'm you've got a fraction yeah. on top of a fraction with your vinculum in the middle there. Yes, I've got it. Yep. Okay. You multiply the out, the top and the bottom one. So one times seven gives you seven at the top. Okay. And you multiply the two in the middle. Three times three is nine, and wow. that's your answer. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. I'm. Seeing... And I don't. You know, conceptually, phew, not a chance. But you know, we've got kids coming in for research with KFC. They haven't yeah. got any conceptual <laughs> understanding. But for some of them, this method is a light bulb moment. That's interesting. It's just wow. different. It's and just, that's on the tea towel. That's on the tea towel. It? It's winging its way up to you. Um, yeah, as, I believe so. I believe so. I'll send a picture <laughs> of my tea towel when it arrives. And just again, practically, so what's happening with this tea towel? You've got these, so you've got all these different methods from these nine basic skill yeah. areas. And what are the yeah. kids doing with this tea towel? Well, I, I don't use a tea towel with the students. I have a section in the teacher training and, and any teacher training oh, that I do right. where we have a section on alternative methods. So, yes. Uh, to plug those nine basics, to, to plug the first eight problems that they'll have in the first eight questions. Um, so if you consider there's 16 different ways to do long multiplication, um, if wow. a student is struggling with a uh, traditional column method, mm. um, then it's time to say, well, have a look at Napier's Bones, perhaps. Have a look at the yes, Reddit multiplication yes. method, because I don't think you perhaps learn it like that, because you would have done in the last 16 years yes. and that's <laughs> um, the, back to this idea of making things different right yeah that, that's looks, the key different, to this. looks different looks and, different and 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 they're perfectly valid i mean there's a key statement in the dfe uh document now about any valid mathematical method will get the marks and certainly markers yes. are telling us that yeah yeah if it looks mathematical and they've got the right answer they'll get all the marks um so that's another key feature of the revision is plug in those early the basic skill gaps 
Uh, so the tea towel is for teachers. Um, <laughs> it's a piece of artwork. It's not to be used as drying up. Um, <laughs> and I give them away willy-nilly, really, because I like having conversations about um, alternative methods. And, and, and that's why I'm, I'm really looking forward to jo uh, Joe's book, uh, The Mathematical Compendium, because um, I think there'll be some in there that I certainly aren't aware of. But for some students, I mean, I had this thing with the marigolds of multiplication as well for hand multiplication <laughs> of the time tables and it's a gimmick it's memorable maths um but if it helps a student figure out what nine sevens are quickly or seven nines are or seven eights um which it which it does and you don't have to have a pair of marigolds on um then it's the right thing to do with students and, and you do see light bulb moments with teachers in training and also with the students i've worked with um I'm, and I'm still work that. with I'm, so yeah I'm I'm seeing a trend here. So we've got we've got the tea towel, we've got the marigolds, we had the ready meals uh, yeah. before. This is, yeah, this yeah. Is the, it's all kitchen and food based. Yeah, this is. Yeah. I like Cake. it. I, I was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. And I I think Joe Morgan's Mr. Tricky and not having a tea towel come out with her. I think she pieces. has, but I think yeah. I might have to copyright tea towels, mathematical uh, yes. tea towels, because it, yeah, it's it, mine. <laughs> get in there quick. Get in there it's quick. Just a, it's and, a gimmick, but actually it just provokes discussion and people look at it. And I've never seen anyone say, "Oh yeah, it's a tea towel." They'll say. Oh, I've never seen that method before. And, yes. and then they'll start talking about how they've seen other things in the classroom. And again, it comes back to John Hattie. You know, if you can't get them to do it one way, you have to find another route in. You have to find another yes. way. Um, so, yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Um, one one kind of last major question about this this reset approach because you, you've 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 covered in in your in your descriptions and answers the vast majority of things I wanted to ask you, but there's one one thing left. And so we we've touched here on um, on these these basic skill areas, and I just want to broaden the conversation to to assessment in general here because we've got a fair bit of data. Well, I mean, again, this is part of the question: do we do we actually have a fair bit of data on these on these kids when when they come to particularly the, the colleges? But if we can get hold of that data from GCSE, um, how, um, if at all, is it used? Or, or basically, are you going to have you already identified these topics that are going to be covered as part of this this five R's approach? In other words, this is a really rambly way of asking this. Do you already know in advance what the curriculum is going to look like, or is it is it tailor made to particular classes and students? And I guess my question is, if so, how how does assessment come into that? It's all built on the Chief Examiner's reports. They will tell us what students commonly like, our grade three students, the mistakes that they make. It tells, it tells us what they do well as well, uh, but it also tells us quite succinctly and very um, strategically the things we could do more of. So, for example, working with a compass and a protractor and a ruler is not rocket science, is it? Um, have you seen a 16, 17-year-old trying to draw a circle? It's painful sometimes. Uh, but again, that's probably very common in year 11 as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the chief examiner's reports tell us everything we need to know. And if you think of, I'll go back to City College Norwich, they have 70 feeder schools. They draw from wow. the whole of Norfolk. Wow. You try gathering that information... Uh, when you've got 1,400 students and you're trying to look in Results Plus or trying to figure yes. out what exam board they had at school in the first place, it's a logistical nightmare. It's okay with 15 students in a reset class in a sixth form, but the logistics of finding out that information and quickly to put them in for the November reset, basically you've got to go on UMS marks and then knowing from chief examiners you know, they're the source of all knowledge as far as I'm concerned. Um, they tell us what commonly students with a grade three have done wrong. And that's, that's the basis of the start of the curriculum. So um, and there's an element, 
there's an element in there as well that you'll never cover some points. So you don't need to. They don't need 100%. Um, things that they don't know at the start of the, the course, uh, you leave right until the end. You leave right until the end if you've got time. You've got enough to do, plugging the gaps, sorting out the basic skills and getting them to do daily maths. And if they're really engaged with daily maths, you can say, right, OK, you're doing really well. Why don't you have a go, have a go at some vectors now? You said you didn't mm. know that, first of all. So there's, yes. there's a lot of self-assessment. Um, there's a lot of reliance on them coming to you saying, oh, I did this question at home. Well, I can't get it right. Can you help me? Um, so there, there's a lot of self-assessment as well. We, we need to get them to engage with their own qualification, though. That's interesting. So would it be right? And I'm not saying this is a bad thing at all, um, but it, you wouldn't be overly concerned in terms of differentiation in the traditional sense within the lesson itself because these are your kind of best bets you've you've a pretty good idea that the kids are going to struggle on this particular area because you've seen it in the examiner's report yeah. and if it so happens that for a, a particular child they're actually a little bit stronger uh, uh, on this it's not yeah. the worst thing in the world because they're still no. getting this extra practice and it's not for an entire lesson i guess that's the key point but they won't well, be sitting there it? doing nothing because that's yes. not acceptable there's plenty for them to be getting on with right okay you know that topic really well just have a look at the Padlet for a bit. Do something for yeah, 15 course. minutes or 10 of minutes. Or, or why don't you actually, you know, have a look at some hard questions on that? Because on maths.com has got some demon questions. It's got, there's lots of other scope for them to do other things. Sitting there doing nothing is not an option. Two rules yes. in my classroom. Be nice and do lots of maths. <laughs> they're very good rules and, and i guess if we've got year 11 teachers or year 10 teachers listening who thinking well unfortunately i mean i love everything but that's one thing i perhaps can't do because the kids don't have the tablets or the devices yeah again it's there's ways around that as well oh, right yeah. like yeah, yeah, i definitely. can imagine we can give them we can give them other work to do if if they you know well everything on math but i think is printable anyway you can print yes. worksheets out from that you can print the answer sheets out um, I don't think there's anything there that would hold students back, but I think you lose the dynamism of it if you're if you're not using on math, uh, you know, where they can see where they're getting. Oh, I'm nearly at a grade four, Miss. I'm nearly at a grade four. You use that dynamic element of it if you if you're more worksheet based. However, think of the poor FE teacher that hasn't got any money for photocopying and uh, yeah, is reliant on phones and, and tablets and however. However, which way we can is, is the mantra in FE, I think, at the moment. Um, what is hugely disappointing, which I've been hearing very recently, is um, teachers being put on performance measures because of their GCSE reset outcomes. That, wow. to me, is a disgrace. <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, it is down to senior management to be very well aware of the, the landscape out there. Um and to consider, you know, what they're doing to these teachers. Um, that's disappointing. No, I'm, I'm definitely, I'm, I'm with you on that one. I'm, I'm definitely with you on that. Um, just before we bring the kind of GCSE reset um, conversation to a close, and yeah. I just want to ask you a couple of other things. Um, I, I can definitely see how this 5R approach um, is, is going to be successful. And I can definitely see how once the kids are, are, are into this process, into this routine, they're going to start to see the success themselves, and it's going to be this virtuous circle. And um, my question is, how do you get them engaged in the first place? What What's the message in Julia when you first meet this? group of kids they've all come from different backgrounds they've they've all got one thing in common and that's that they failed you know again yeah. however we label fail and that they have to be there they've not been successful at maths what are some of the first things you say to to, to kick start this virtuous cycle 
Yeah, I think I think we've we've covered um, a lot of the elements. So the national numeracy video, um, I would show them that you know about the maths. We've got a problem with maths in this country. Mm. That mm. it's okay to say I don't do maths. Um, I hate maths. Um, I always ask um, students, you know, if you hands up if you don't like maths, and you know you'll get a few answers. And you know, well, why? Why don't you like maths? And then I'll I'll have a predetermined answer. You know, if you hear a student say, I hate maths, then what is your answer as a teacher to that? Because you can't let that go. Yes. Um, my answer has always been, well, you didn't have me as your teacher, so we're going to be fine. So I'm, I'm this, <laughs> this positive pants for them. Um, it, you know, but when you ask teachers that, you know, oh, I hate fractions, you know, it's a question about predetermining what what your answer to that is because that starts a dialogue and a conversation so national numeracy having a great conversation after that video and, and looking at why people don't like maths it covers a lot of the elements of that in uh, the video in any case but it's a good starting point things about putting them in the moment of exam day so you know just pro project yourself forward to august 22nd next year you know what what would it mean to you if you've got that grade four this time well i can go off and do that and i could go and do this and i could go and do that they're talking now about t levels yesterday the statement was made that you won't get onto a, a level three t level without having a grade four in gcse uh, math and english now so what's what's a t level sorry, a t level is a new qualification which is coming into further education uh, replacing btechs and um, ah, right, okay. so technical technical qualifications but again there's you know, student, a, vast, a large number of students will be excluded from going into the T-level at the right level because they haven't got their GCSE at a particular level. We know that they'll be excluded from university. And it is about, you know, career changes. I always challenge teachers. You know, when you saw the careers officer at school, was it your dream to become a GCSE reset teacher? Mm. You know, when I grow up, I want to be a GCSE. We've all had other jobs and other lives and you morph into teaching GCSE reset um, yes. very often in, in a college, not not so much in the school kind of route, but in a college, you know, you find industry people who then come into college. Um, so it is a, it's no longer the, the, the case that you have the job for life, and it is about recognising with students that actually you'll earn more money, you'll have better health, your children will be better educated, you may decide you want to go and do something later on, um, that you, you may not even have thought of yet. And I, I always give the example, when I first started teaching, I had a GCSE um, reset night class, evening class on a Monday night. And we, we'd gone through a few of these alternative methods because I've been doing these for years and then kind of have got validated that it was the right approach recently. <laughs> um, and one lady got really annoyed after half an hour of showing her a different way to subtract and a different way to add two fractions or subtract two fractions. She got really annoyed and uh, she was about 40. Her kids were just leaving primary school. She wanted to be a nurse, so she had to have a C grade. And she got really angry. And I said, oh, I thought I was helping. You know, what's the problem? What's the problem? She goes, I have learned so much in the last half hour with you. I always thought I was sick. I always thought there was one way to do something. And because I couldn't yes. do it, I was the one that was, that was at fault. I've never been able to help my children because I hate math so much. But you've actually shown me in half an hour that I can do it. And she got so annoyed. She got so annoyed at everyone that had let her down in the past yes. and, and, and just shown her one way. And that really resonated for me. Um, so, yeah, so that's where it's all kind of come from. So telling the anecdotal stuff to those students, mm. you don't mm. know what you might do later on. The postcard pedagogy, I love that idea. <laughs> a lot of, my, lot of what's in my head I've stolen from other people anyway, so it's not all me. 
coming up with these things. It's things I see practically in the classroom. Um, so that you know, there is a lot that you can do. You won't get them all. You won't get them all. But if you can double your outcomes, as I said, I think we'd all be in a much better place than. Um, because of that, we haven't talked about norm referencing, and that is an issue for our research students. I think they should, um, they do sit outside of that, but they are subject to the vagaries of norm referencing yes. um, in the June series. So that's that's a very difficult one um, to deal with. But, you know, the volumes of students are still increasing, coming out of year 11. Um, yeah, it's a real challenge, but I don't know what the alternative is. It's not going to go away anytime soon anyway. No, it's it's certainly it's certainly not. Well, that that has been absolutely fascinating on on research studio. I've rambled. Um, I, oh, not <laughs> at all, not at all. Uh, just two more questions from me, then I'm going to hand over to you for your for your big three to bring things to a close. And okay. Uh, just time time for a couple of reflections. Um, my first question is, what's an example of something important that you've changed your mind about? Twitter. Definitely. Oh, tell me more. Tell oh, me. Oh, I was I was forced to do it. I went to the secondary school and they said, right, we want a Twitter. Twitter maths account and a Twitter English account. Um, and I said, really? I've got, got enough to do. I, don't, I haven't got time for Twitter. <laughs> it's the best thing I ever did. Absolutely best thing I ever did. Uh, I've learned so much. I have got the most phenomenal, real-life, proper friends out of Twitter. Yes. Um, so many connections. Uh, so much fun on there as well, providing you, you kind of, you know, keep yourself away from the nonsense that can occur. <laughs> uh, just ignore and move on. Um but it's been the most phenomenal thing for me, and I'm staggered. I've got over 10,000 true friends on there yes. <laughs> uh, as followers, which is just crazy. It's crazy, crazy. I haven't bought a single one of them before you say I have. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Twitter. I, I never Lovely. thought I was going to need it. I didn't think it had anything to do um, for me. But, actually, for maths, it's just the best thing ever. Lovely, lovely answer, lovely answer. And then second question, and my final question, what do you wish you'd known when you first started out in your career that you know now? Uh, maths revision isn't like normal revision. I wish I'd thought about maths revision um, as this process of, of revisioning it, looking at it differently. Definitely, yeah. I should have done the research early on. That's a big, yeah. Well, again, you, you're doing us all a favour with it now, Julia. So that's, that's superb, that. <laughs> um, and now let, let me shut up and hand over to you for your big three. So you've, I mean, kind of, I think we broke the record for the number of uh, websites, blogs and things that have been mentioned in, in an episode. And as I say, there'll be, there links, will be to the, the links to the Padlet, exactly, Padlet. <laughs> in the show notes. But are there three others, uh, whether the websites, blog posts or whatever you want, that you direct our listeners to? Um, well, I think I've mentioned them all, to be fair, because I, I don't hold anything back. Uh, Corbett Maths, uh, John Corbett's site, you know, if they engage with John Corbett's site, there, it's free, it's uh, accessible. The primary maths site, website as well is brilliant for functional maths. If you're not seeing the separate site for, for functional maths, it's absolutely superb. Um, so Corbett Maths, it, you know, what that man gives to the, the maths classroom, yes. they don't actually need you if they engage with John. Um, Maths with a Force, you know, secret website there from Steve Blades. Um, a lot of the things he does try and sell you, so don't buy anything from him. Um, but just <laughs> use his free bits and pieces. They're really good. He's got some lots of different bits and pieces on there for, for stretch and challenge as well as um, yes. my little reset lovies. There's some, they're not badged as reset either. It's all about misconceptions. And then, as I say, on maths.com and maths com purely because they give instant feedback instant answers and there's much flexibility in there so there's probably four there rather than the three you wanted but tough 
I'll let you off. I'll let you off. And as I said, there'll be a link to the, the Padlet in the show notes. Yeah. Um, well, Julia, this this has been absolutely brilliant, this. Um, Thank you. It's, 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 been, it's been lovely, this, because it's, it's been a while on the show, just for, for one reason or another, since we've had kind of a purely maths teaching pedagogy focus. And this is one area that I've, I mean, I've been doing this podcast probably close to four years now. And we, we, we've skirted around GCSE resets, but we've, we've never really dug deep into it. And this has blown my mind this because it's it's a structure i love a structure i love a routine and as i say this gives me something that i could follow and i think it gives me a way to to first initially sell it to my kids and then for them to really start feeling the benefits themselves and and as we've said right throughout this 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 conversation this isn't restricted to gcse resets this could be year 11 bottom sets it could be year 11 top sets before you know in the weeks leading up to the exam and it's it's general principles that could be applied to all classes and and all students and so julia this has been an absolute pleasure for me to talk to you i, I, I can't wait i'm going to be checking the post every day until my tea towel <laughs> come, comes through I, I cannot wait for that but thank you for thank you for for, for again giving up the thank time you to for the invite to today. very and, honored and, no no and yeah thank you for your time today and, and thank you for, for all the work you've done with this julia as i say this is it's, it's a big problem um, in this country it's a big problem for teachers it's a big problem for for, for students and this this gives us a, a, a strategy it gives us a way for forward to to improve outcomes for kids who really really need it so Juliet thank you so much for this thank you Craig so there you have it there was my interview with former maths teacher and now author trainer and all-round expert on all things GCSE reset Julia Smith I really hope you enjoyed that one and got as much out of it as I did. It's one of my favourite conversations. I absolutely love it because it's been a while, as I think I mentioned at the end of the end of the conversation, it's been a while since I've been able to speak to a maths teacher purely about mathematics. There's been no book to promote and talk about. It's just been about good old-fashioned teaching. And... It was ram full of practical stuff, right? I'm, I'm going to refer to some of the resources that Julia mentioned a little bit later on, but I love that. So practical, so full of ideas, and it's going to be a bit of a game changer for me. And that's what I want to reflect on um, in this takeaway. I said in my introduction and I said um, in my conversation with Julia that I've really struggled, you know, with, with GCSE Reset. And, and looking back, I think I've done many of the kids a disservice. I don't think I fully appreciated just their mindset going into this. The fact that they don't want to be there. The fact that they're essentially forced to, to, to be there. They want to be doing other courses. They want to be doing other things. And because they haven't got this, this maths qualification, they, um, they, they've got to resit it. They've got to, they've got to be there until they get it. That's one thing I haven't realized. And also, I, I don't think I realised fully just how important that qualification is. I know this makes me sound stupid and naive, but as Julia said, it's it's life-changing. Getting this, the, well, the former grade C and the, the now grade 4, it, it opens so many doors. And I think it's it's hard, isn't it? We've got to really empathise with the kids. We can kind of see this coming in year 11, you, you can, and but the kids don't fully realise it, I don't think. And it's only whenever they haven't got this this, this pass, this grade 4 or, the, or this C, that they sit down in September and then they're in that first maths class and, and it really dawns on them that, you know, shit, I've, I've, I've got to get this. And for some, that can be a really positive thing. I've had some kids 
for whom they've hit the ground running and eventually they've got their grade, whether it's in November or, or the June sitting. But for others, it can go the other way. It's, you know, they're down. They're down in the dumps. They're annoyed at the system. They, they want the freedom that they think that they've earned now that they've got through the first, you know, five years of high school and so on. And yet it's it's back to the same. And, and that's the big point. It really was back to the same for the for, for the kids the way I used to teach it. It was it was just like, you know, three months had gone by. They've had the summer holidays and they're back in another maths class. Another maths class that in their eyes has let them down in the past. The structure to lessons that they haven't got it. Things haven't sunk in. And yet there I was thinking the more I do this, surely they're going to get it eventually. But no. So yeah, I don't think I've done a good job. And this is bad for me, this, you know. I've spent the last, what, ever since doing this podcast, what, four years or whatever, just realising how bad a teacher I've been. And I thought I'd got it all out the way now, especially now I'm on a sabbatical from, from day-to-day teaching. But now GCSE resits come under the spotlight and I've realised I was pretty crap at that as well. So yeah. anyway, it's good, it's good to live and learn. Um, which brings me to the second thing, that the structures and routines. Now, I'm obsessed by this, you know, and I know structures and routines have a really kind of negative connotation because it's, it can seem like it's, you know, a kind of factory and it's everything's doing the same and so on and so forth. And the first episode of this podcast that really brought this into light in, in, in a positive way for me was, was the Bruno Reddy conversation. It's years ago now. Bruno was one of our, our first guests on the show. And Bruno spoke about how he rarely starts teaching the kids anything for the first, you know, one or two lessons that he meets a new class because he wants to get the routine sorted, the routines for lining up outside, routines for asking questions and so on. Because he, he believes that if he, if he puts so much time into those, it's an investment that's going to pay dividends in the future because it's going to reduce the curriculum time spent needed to explain you do this or you line up like this and you ask questions like this those those minutes that add up lesson after lesson after lesson bruno can get those out of the way in one you know bulk thing modeling this kind of behavior and constantly revisiting it and so on and since that conversation and since kind of reflecting on my own practice, as I said, I've become really obsessed with structure and routines and I love them. I'm, I have a structure for a lot of the activities I do, whether they're SSDD problems, whether they are, and it's particularly the case here, my process for worked examples, the example problem pair approach. And it's the reflect, expect, check, explain behavior that underpins all the work I do in intelligent practice. These are things that are constant. It doesn't matter what class, it doesn't matter what topic, we do the same routine. And I put in time at the start of the year with a class modeling this behavior, modeling this expectations, and then constantly revisiting it because it's going to come up time and time again, every topic that we do with, with every class that I teach. And for me, this five R's approach screams structure and routine to me. It's powerful. Um, so there's a couple of benefits to it. One is the kind of wider point that I'm making here that kids get used to it. So they know what's coming. They know how to behave and act in each stage. And by behave, I also mean behave mathematically, how to think, what's the, what their expectation is, how to get the most out of it. And they realize this pretty quickly because they're doing it every lesson. They've got the same structure every single lesson. That's the first thing I like about it. It's less curriculum time is wasted 
having to explain expectations. And the second thing, it's it's short and snappy, each part of this. I love that. I love that. You're not you're never on one thing for too long. And that's that's important for all students, but particularly for, for these students who, as I say, have had that this negative experience of mathematics, they're gonna have lots of gaps in their knowledge and they're gonna be frustrated regularly at, at various points in, in the lessons throughout the year. And the fact that it's kind of exposing kids to things, not for too long. And they're moving on to something else because you know they're going to bubble back up again in, in you know, the retrieval part or the, the recap part is, is so important. And that brings me to the third and final thing of, of, that I love about it, the structure and routine, is that it's different. It's different to what they'll have done at school. It's different to what they'll have done in year 11 and year 10. So maths has to be delivered different to these students if they're to have a hope of, of getting the mindset themselves that they can do this because why should they believe that they can do it if it looks exactly the same the other thing i wanted to just mention and again this is all stuff i, I discussed with julia is that this five hours approach isn't just confined to, to gcse reset this is just good teaching this is just good teaching now i think there's a definite application for gcse foundation classes as i mentioned possibly at the start of the year um, it's absolutely ideal for focusing on those topics that kids have, have met in the past but have not yet mastered by any stretch of the imagination. It could also be used to introduce some of the new topics that kids will need to do in year 11 uh, for GCSE Foundation. I think it could also, as I mentioned, be used with higher um, tier year 11 sets whenever they've you finish teaching the curriculum finish teaching the the specification and it comes to the revision part what a nice lesson structure this is this is to use but also i think parts of this could be taken um for for or any class year sevens year eights building a structure in whether it's you know you just take a couple of the r's or whether you do a five r lesson once a week or something like that i just i just feel this this structure is so powerful and the resources are there that it seems daft not to not to tap into this. I also wanted to talk about this notion of of taking things seriously, and I go back. I often go back um, to Mark McCourt in, in lots of respects, but particularly the episode when he was uh, on for the second time. We talked about starters, and he said, uh, "Cover your ears if you've got young kids listening here." But starters are bollocks, and one of the reasons Mark believes that is because kids don't take them seriously. Now, the kids Julia's teaching here. If anyone's not going to take the start of a lesson seriously, it's these kids, right? They're the ones. They're going to be arriving late. You know, perhaps the effort, the motivation isn't there and so on and so forth. But as Julia said, they don't see this as a starter. That first R, that isn't a starter. That is just, it's just part of the lesson structure, just as important as anything else. And I think that's the point. It's whatever we do at the start of the lesson, firstly, we as teachers have got to take it seriously and, and not be doing it just for the sake of doing it. But then crucially, we've got to explain to the students why, why that start of the lesson starts as it does. And if that means it's a recall starter or a retrieval starter, it's a case of saying to the kids, look, we're, we're starting the lesson in this way because it means that you can tap in to try and retrieve knowledge from five different areas of maths. Every time you retrieve it, you're boosting the retrieval strength and storage strength it's becoming deeper embedded easier to access whatever words you use i didn't used to say that to kids you know it's just oh it's just a, it's, we're doing a starter I, I don't think i ever explained to the kids why we're doing this so the kids just think it's some daft thing that sir does so they don't take it seriously so if julia can get her students taking it seriously i think i can as well final thing well final two things really um as i say julia dropped absolute gold dust of resources throughout the conversation and she's put together this padlet 
I'm just looking at it now. So it's padlet.com forward slash test. That's T-E-S-S maths one forward slash Craig Barton. There's a link to this in the show notes. Flipping heck, it is full of gold dust here. Stuff I've not seen before. So uh, there's the AQA basic skills test. Three of those. They look absolutely fantastic. There's um, links to Jonathan Hall's website, um, the um, math spot. There's links to the just maths, a little bit of maths every day. Uh, Mr. Chadburn's uh, stuff on here. There's the website that, um, websites that Julia mentioned that, again, I was familiar with them in the sense that I knew the name, but I'd certainly not used them. Them a lot the on maths uh, website which looks absolutely fantastic the maths.com with the um, a replaced with the four as i say the just maths bread and butter and then there's fantastic videos mr b makes an appearance here and um, there's 18 misconceptions there's just absolutely loads of stuff and it goes back to what i'm saying before this this isn't this isn't something that um, is restricted to GCSE research students. It's a wonderful array of resources. So share that far and wide. And thank you for Julie for putting that together. Which brings me to my final, final, final point, I promise. Um, and that is to do with um, getting students to do work outside of class. Uh, Julie was big on this. A little bit of maths every day. This is the key to it. And and often for, for many students, but particularly GCSE research students, that's just not part of their routine. They do maths when they're in maths lessons. Maybe they do a little bit for revision before the exam if we're lucky and that's about it well whereas what julia's done here she set up some resources on this padlet but with one really interesting feature and that is well two i guess really one is that there's a wide variety of these resources it's not just one thing you go to one site whether it's my maths hegarty whatever so that's the first thing there's a wide variety of resources and secondly there's no logins required to these they're all free and there's no logins now the downside to that can be as i alluded to in the conversation where's the accountability where's the tracking how do we know how long kids have spent on these and so on and so forth but julia's point is that that these logins i think can they can be a bit of a barrier um you know it's, it's a small barrier but if you've got logins for three or four sites that you have to remember then it's typing them all in and then you're on and then, okay, I've got to do a certain amount and so on and so forth. Whereas what I like about this is when kids have got a moment, whether it's on the bus, whether it's in front of the telly or whatever, fire up on their phone, any device they want. They're on this Padlet. They can click on something. They're straight on doing maths. They can be doing maths within two seconds as opposed to having to navigate to the website, do the login. Maybe it doesn't work on a certain device. Maybe it's a bit, maybe once you're on the site, you've got to then select what bit you want to do and so on. No, with these things, you're straight on there no messing around whether it's on maths doing the, a paper straight away whether it's jonathan hall's website doing some retrieval stuff straight away i think that's massive and this is me speaking of, of somebody who has diagnosticquestions.com which you know for kids to use it's based around a login and so on and so forth i think there's massive value to that but julia made the <laughs> julia made the really fascinating point you know that again if if in in gcse reset we're saying to kids right here's your my mass login here's your hegarty mass login here's your diagnostic questions login and we're expecting this to work work well it hasn't worked in year 11 it hasn't worked in year 10 so it all goes back to this notion of we're doing things different maths is going to be different in this GCSE reset year and I think that's really powerful a really powerful message and again something that is probably equally um, useful for GCSE perhaps foundation groups who have also struggled they're going to be the ones possibly are going to be in this GCSE reset group 12 months down the line well let's preempt that and say all right I know you've probably had a rough ride with maths over the last four years of secondary school but I'd say what maths is going to be different this year we're going to do this five hours approach here's your padlet here's sites that I'd recommend here's your routine here's your structure we're going to nail this maths this year 
So anyway, I hope this has been an as interesting and important a conversation for you as it has been for me. I I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I, I loved every minute of it. So um, let's let's do a few thank yous. So first off, um, and obviously thank you to Julia for giving up her time to speak to me and to share all this wonderful stuff. Absolutely phenomenal. Uh, thank you to podcastthemes.com for the lovely jazzy music that you've heard throughout the show. Um, and thank you to you, my loyal listener, for keeping on tuning in to these episodes. Got some absolute cracking guests lined up. Um, I've been a bit slow on the podcast recently i tried to do one every two weeks but you've noticed i've been a bit lapsed it's kind of gone to everyone every three weeks and maybe even one every four weeks there's a reason behind that well there's two reasons really one is obviously i'm as many of you know i'm a father now turns out parenthood's quite tricky um yeah that's been a bit of a, a shock to me both in terms of lack of sleep and lack of time and, and isaac not quite realizing yet at eight months old that daddy's recording a podcast and the significance and importance of that doesn't quite have twigged with Isaac just yet. Hopefully soon, maybe when he's nine months or ten months, um, it may do. So that's one thing, um, parenthood. But also I'm working on something and it's um, I'll be announcing it um, fairly soon. But um, hopefully you'll understand then why it's why I've been... Uh, any spare work time has been taken up there doing that. But do not fear, the podcast will continue for as long as people can keep listening and people keep agreeing to have me ask annoying questions. So, um, yeah, the final plugs. As I say, I mentioned Joe and I are running a course, Marvelous Maths. Uh, check that out. There's a link in the show notes. That's 29th of October and 31st of October. There should be a few tickets left by the time you're listening to this. Um, and yeah, if you want to help support the podcast, the easiest thing to do is recommend it to a friend um, or and or write a review. That'd be superb. It just helps the, the podcast get out into the wider public. Anyway, I will shut up now. And um, thank you so much for listening. You take care of yourselves. Bye for now.